welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, all right. We are back for episode 23. It is November 3rd, 2012. We Ooh. have the Conzi here in, well, not exactly the studio. We're at the last score, actually, recording from the wonderful store that it is. Isn't that located on Aldana Road? Yes, last time I checked. Cool. Well, I should say the last time I was here, which would be right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> all right. And who else we have here in the studio? I'm Dustin, otherwise known as Noisy Assassin Online, and I'll be joining you guys for a little bit of insanity today. All right. Excellent. Okay. Dustin's kind of a resident conversion expert. Yep. He has done some amazing stuff, both with his demon army. And goblins, goblins. And ogres. And frustrating goblins. I mean, that little <laughs> bit of goblin list is just a frustrating little, you got, what, 1,000 points put together? I have 1K of night goblins. And there, it is a frustrating little list. There's some unique kind of takes on units and, and how it is. It definitely operates different than any other goblin lists I've played against, so it's really cool. And then, of course, you have your current project. One of your current projects is the Chaos Dwarves. Yep. I'm up to 2,000 points assembled with them and definitely growing. Nice. Excellent. So, uh, who else we have here? Well, my name is Paul, otherwise known as PJ Shard, otherwise known as Wisco Dice on Twitter. Good morning. Um, right. So, let's go ahead and just give a quick uh, shout out and thanks to all of our sponsors that help us put together Wisco Dice. Yeah. Well, I think we better start out with the last square here, located right here where we are sitting. Yeah, the Last Square is an amazing facility. Mm-hmm. We they have a number of miniature games, including historicals, including I mean today they've got a huge historical Guadalcanal battle that's mm-hmm. going on. That's basically taking up the entire gaming area of the store. Yeah, I mean we literally are surrounded by miniatures as we're sitting right now. We've got Reaper miniatures to the front. We've got 40k to the right. We've got. Um, some dust miniatures to the left, Tide of Iron, and then behind us we've got some Privateer Press and Warhammer Fantasies. So literally, Somewhere there, I mean, we there's are some surrounded. Kings of War even here. So yep, it's, yeah, Kings of War is on the other side. <laughs> and of course you can catch out their online store and all the information about events and whatnot's going on at the Last Square at thelastsquare.com. Correct. Including, did you know, 20% off on all Games Workshop product when, products when you order online. That's correct. Uh, also, if you're in store, if you pre-order it, it's also 20% off. So if you can get here, why not? Also, we can't forget the other gaming store in Madison, Misty Mountain Games. They're located on Cottage Grove Road, right near where we usually record. Yep, right down the street from Dugansdale Studios. Yeah. So, of course, Misty's got the largest gaming space in Madison, and they are the host of this year's 2012 Merry Mayhem Mini Con. Yep, and then they also have a great selection of card games. They also have a great selection of miniatures and paints as well, including the Prism Gaming Paints. Yes. our... uh, Number three right there, prismgamer.com. Yes, Prism Gamer. They have one of the most outstanding. I know you hear us rave about their uh, washes almost every time we talk about them. That's but correct. But I can't, I mean, think the old Devlin mud kicked up about six notches when you're using their leather wash. That's mm-hmm. really my experience with it. I, I just can't, I can't say enough about it. I almost never used washes, and then I started using, I got used a little Devlin mud, but now it's, I mean, leather wash, their pitch wa- mm-hmm. the pitch black that they have, a couple other, they have a really cool armor wash that I really like. They've got a lot of nice paints and a huge selection, including, of course, their pearlescent paints, which is something unique to their range as well, so... so. All right. All right. And then, of course, finally, we have the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. That's the WWHFB.com, right? Yes. Uh, the WWHFB, the Wisconsin's oldest and longest-run Warhammer Fantasy club. Correct. Uh, with the great online forum 
great group of members, and of course the online league term scoring that's all set up, easy to use. All you have to do is register for the forums, one-stop shop. There you go. All right. Well, Ben, what have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been working on Tomb Kings and Merry Mayhem. All right. Well, so, what did, have you done anything specific? Did you get I, those chariots done? I saw no. you post. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I don't have the crew done. I got I got the latest picks up early mm-hmm. in the week, but then I've kind of been petered off. Uh, no, I, I just haven't had time to get down the in the basement and do any work. So oh. I've been busy. I had two nights of we this is only we only had a week between recording. So I've had yeah. I've had <laughs> uh, I was downstairs couple times early in the week and then i working on the models and then i got lobbed into warhammer tuesday night Mm -hmm. where i got to play dustin and then warhammer on thursday night Mm -hmm. and then in between their board games so (laughs) i last and then last night i just kind of crashed and cruised so fair enough yeah i uh i actually did get some gaming done or uh, some hobby done believe it or not i got my 15 pounds painted to a basic level so those will be ready for the north star which is happening starting next Friday. So that's four days, five days from now. So Yeah, it's going to be a rough little series of... <laughs> of I think uh, it's going to be a wonderful series of weekends here, Ben. Come on. So, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be rough. i got a lot of work to, to do in that time. So I still have a, an objective marker to make, and I, I'm not sure that I'm going to get the display board done, but I'll at least bring the one I made for the ogres so I can move around the army <laughs> reasonably well. So. All right. Well... Dustin, have you done anything, managed to get any work done in the old hobby department in, say, like the last month or so that you might be like to let our listeners know about? Ooh, last month? Actually, no, not really. I've added a couple more tentacles to my Lord of Change conversion <laughs> that I'm working on and stared at a bunch of pile of bits. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'd actually be really interested to hear you talk about that conversion you did with your Mornfangs. Oh, right. I actually did finish up some some Mornfangs this month. So I've got an Araby-themed ogre army going on. Which is pretty sweet. And I decided that the normal mounts for the Mornfangs just weren't quite doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Quite agreed. I, I like the Mornfang, but I don't think they all at all fit in with the Araby theme, to be honest. They're, they're very mountain and big mountain cats. It's true. So what I did was I trawled through eBay and picked up a couple of the Island of Blood Griffins, which are very easy to acquire, about $8 each. Not too bad. No, add in some packs of chariot bases and some spare ogre bodies, and you're talking actually slightly cheaper than the Games Workshop (laughs) Mornfangs. Yeah, I do have to say, the Mornfang boxes have tons of sweet bits, so... That is one thing that I'm kind of sad I'm missing out <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, like, I love the Island of Blood Griffin, but it's a snap-tight model, so mm-hmm. all you have is exactly what you need. Yep. So, I took those models. One of them, I kept the pose on the Griffin the same, mm-hmm. removed its wings, and have it jumping down over a pile of rocks made out of tree bark, actually, and so it ends up looking like a very large version of a demigriff. Yes. Which is kind of cool because I started ordering the pieces to make this conversion about two weeks before the demigriffs were first <laughs> spoiled online. So I kind of got some validation there that these are pretty cool. Yes. And now I got a second one done last week that... Just some simple reposing of the legs ended up being super easy. Took me about 10 minutes. Nice. 
Excellent. And I have to say, I like the look of the Island of Blood Griffins much more than I like the look of the Demigriff mounts themselves, because the Demigriff mounts just look pretty static to me. The Island of Blood Griffin, while it's only a one pose, because it's just one model, it's definitely got a lot more of a dynamic flow to the model itself. And I think you've really done that justice in your conversions. So you've you've cut them up, reposed them, then you've got some flags on the side, and then you also reposed a couple of ogres to be riders on top of those, right? Correct. Yeah, and... I, I was just really blown away when I saw those in person, so I'd love to see pictures of them online <laughs> so I'll, I could show them off. <laughs> I'll definitely get on that. All, All right. right, so then I guess next up we want to just go ahead and talk about any games. Is there any games you want to recap? I know uh, it's been just a week, but... Mm-hmm. I actually haven't gotten any games in. I finished up my last 12-day work week in a row, and I'm just happy that I'm done with that. So. Yeah, you seem to be strangely missing this week from our uh, yeah, escalation league. So. I just was so tired. I'm done. And with uh, North Star coming up. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't want to be sick for North Star. I mean, All but. right. Well, I guess that's kind of a good excuse. <laughs> All right. So we, Dustin and I, we played a game during the Escalation League at 1,000 points. My uh, Tomb Kings versus your Ogres with those cool... Hornfang conversions and everything. What model isn't really converted in that list? That's kind of your motif. Why don't you go ahead, because i got another game I want to go ahead and talk about that I played on Thursday. Why don't you go ahead and give us an idea how that went for you, and I'll... All right, so this was my second game using this 1,000-point ogre list, and my list consisted of a unit of seven iron guts, All right. a unit of eight lead belchers, mm-hmm. A unit of two Mornfangs, and a Firebelly with a great weapon on an Arabian carpet. <laughs> which is kind of an odd choice, but it fits my theme, and I found him to be surprisingly effective at a thousand points. Yeah, I've found that any character on an Arabian carpet just is really fun. I played with a hunter on an Arabian carpet at Evasion Kenosha, and he just adds a lot of flexibility to the list. Even with nothing on him, no armor, he still just adds this huge threat range well, to the ogres mobility is kind of even though like ogres have mornfang and stuff mobility is mm-hmm. kind of a problem for ogres they yeah. just don't have anything that's like sheerly pressing speed i mean the whole army is fast i mean base move six on everything that's minimum helpful. but it, it's very straightforward and linear so all of a sudden now you add a guy with huge depth that you can ang- put at really great angles and stuff like that to help fill in that little bit of a missing gap that the ogres do have mm-hmm Indeed, and I really did find that with him. If I hadn't made a pretty big mistake not fleeing from his tomb prince charging out of a unit <laughs> with him, what? I figured oh, I can probably take him now. Oh, no, did somebody so have the dragon helm? No. Oh. No, I Who? just flubbed my attacks, lost oh. combat by two because he dealt a wound and a charge, and <laughs> bye-bye Firebelly. Oh. you got to remember, a pr- uh, Tomb Prince is three wounds. He's not two, He's not a two-wound hero. Oh, he's a that's three-wound right. hero. Tomb Kings so. are broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. But yeah, that was a really great game. There was a lot of back and forth, some tense moments. I was very, very happy with how that big unit of lead belchers performed. Mm-hmm. Turns out that 8d6 shots is going to put out a lot of hurt. Yeah, I fear when you get that list up to 2k and decide to put in another unit of 8 with that. Ho, ho, ho. That, that's going to be, you know, throwing some sniper, uh, what are they? The man-eaters. Sniper man-eaters. Yeah, the there's sniper a lot of flexibility and... in making a shooty list with ogres. I mean, mm-hmm. two units of 
lead belchers and a unit of man eaters, and you're you got then you've got space as well for two iron blasters. I mean, you can do pretty much anything you want. Yeah. On top of that, I mean, nobody nobody that I know currently is really running that build at tournaments or events. So no, I've I've definitely heard about it in the UK. I've heard a couple people running some version of that list, but it's really not hit here in the US at all. I haven't seen anybody fielding a unit of man eaters with pistols or anything like that. At least not in our Midwest meta no, that we're playing at, at all. the hit events with. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see see that finished at like a 2K 2400 point level. There's going to be a lot of green stuffed turbans between now and then, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe you. Okay, so I played a game on Thursday against uh, the Vikings on our, on the WWHFB forums. He's from Iowa. And he gets up here every couple months. He <laughs> has to work in town. So it was his Ogres, 2,000 points versus my Tomb Kings, which is my second game at 2,000 points with Tomb Kings. And this is my 40-model Tomb King list. <laughs> so A lot of fun to Basically, uh, what I'm running is I've got a Tomb King on a chariot. Mm-hmm. I've got a level 2 Nehekaran Hierophant. Okay. I have five other chari- uh, a unit of five chariots with a banner. A unit of 20 archers, skelly archers with a full command. I have a unit of five of the skelly horse archers, Mm -hmm. which I think are amazing. (laughs) And then I have, for my specials, I have a unit of four necronites with a banner. Yep. Three of the war sphinx. Mm -hmm. And then my rare is a single casket of souls. Nice. So, 40 models, but all of it's, like, high tough eight, you know, real high toughness, really killy, and it's kind of like everything gets pushed forward, so it's a giant wave in front of the casket and and the unit of 20 archers where my Hierophant's basically my Hierophant bunker. Yeah. His list was, I think if he would have had more of, like, the Internet Ogre build, I probably would have won this game, but Mm -hmm. instead he had lots of, you know, smaller Ogre units, like, seven or eight models and a couple of two or three different units. He only had one unit of Mornfang. Right. I do got to say, my MVP, even though I lost in, like, turn three was my <laughs> casket. Nice. Turn one, six dice, irresistible. He rolls a 15 for his leadership check on his Mornfang. There's They're one Mornfang left. They <laughs> run off the board. <laughs> like, turn two, the iron. Bl- his, he had a single Iron Blaster. He rolls, like, a 14 or something on it for its 3d6 leadership test. Take it gone. off. Just dead. Take it off. <laughs> So I mean, like turn two, I was feeling really good. I'm like, hmm, I have all three of my war sphinxes. I have my necronites <laughs> are pretty solid. He's only got his you know the only thing he's got left on the board shooting is like five lead belchers. Lead belchers, yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I mean they shot they shot up my necronites pretty hard, but my necronites got there with two knights, and by the time that I ground lead belchers to death, I had a necronite left. Mm-hmm. I had, the game ended up coming down. It was a hundred and some points difference, and we were playing the Mary Mayhem scenario for the objective tokens, yeah. which is the second scenario I posted, the Isle of Misfit Toys. Yeah. As far as I mean, the the, the scenario didn't didn't change the way we had to play a game. I mean, we played the same way to play to play to win and lose. So you know, based on victory points. And the objectives added just a nice little flair to the game without, like, dominating the game, which was really nice and which was exactly what I was looking for. Very cool. Other than that, though, it was uh, a great game. If I wouldn't have charged, like, my five little Skelly Archers, Archers. Um, Skelly yeah. Horse Archers into the flank of his 
That sounds bad. He's playing ogres. And well, you I charged five skeleton horse riders. I charged the necronites into the front, and I charged them into the flank with the hope that, I mean, I got a wound out. They did a wound to the to the lead belchers. <laughs> Still seems but like I a lost, poor idea. It was a poor idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I lost all five of them, and, you know, I was hoping I'd get, I, you know, I was hoping maybe I'd get a wound out of one, and then I can... And then I can keep one alive, and that's basically a net res of three, which still is kind of a loss. But at this point, I'm kind of, I'm pretty confident my Necronites are going to just kill a bunch of stuff, and they're not going to die very easily. Yeah, it'll give me additional grind and or that extra little, maybe that you know extra little edge to make sure I won the combat. And instead, I think the first round of combat he won by one. But since I was Necronites, I don't care if he win by one. And mm-hmm. that's the other really nice thing about my list is everything. I'm like, if I keep the combats close and it's just about grinding, and the grinding is about the same. Like you don't do any damage pretty much almost ever to the unless you get a really lucky roll on the wound on those uh, war sphinxes. Yeah, and the war sphinxes don't care if you have three ranks in banner. Even if I whiff and don't do any damage, and you win by Muso, I don't care. <laughs> oh, you won by one. Great. I, I don't, don't take care. Any wounds. Yeah, I take no damage. Nice. So, and the list is kind of built in a way that I don't like. If the hierophant dies, eh. I it's not as horrible. <laughs> we found that out in in your game when it was like turn mm-hmm. two, bloodthirster into him, <laughs> bloodthirster into the hierophant. <laughs> rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> yep. At four o'clock in the morning, but I it did, was amazing. <laughs> but I did. I didn't lose my Hierophant till the bottom of six. Nice. So that was really cool. I was. I, I definitely was really happy how the game played. He, like I said, he ended up winning by like 140, 150 points. It was really tight. Nice. Very so, cool. A couple of mistakes I wouldn't. I, you know, I that I know not. I not only do I know now, I kind of knew then, but I, I kind of went in. I was another game. I went in writing it off as kind of a loss, and then hoping, and then you know, <laughs> hoping I could, you know, just let's do this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So. Really pleased with the with the Tomb Kings and how they're playing so far. Nice, very cool. Yeah, I, I actually have a very unconverted compared to yours Araby Tomb Kings list as well at home that I haven't brought out in a while. And hearing about your conversions and hearing about your game with the Tomb Kings makes me want to bring them out. So we'll see. I might have to play those one. Awesome models you might have missed. <laughs> well, that we are surrounded. Makes him laugh. We are surrounded by... Yeah, there's a good reason it always makes me laugh. It's ridiculous. It <laughs> sounds amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a great vocalist. All right, so... No comment. Being surrounded by models <laughs> at the moment, I thought we'd have to pick a pretty sweet uh, unit to talk about. And we're going to talk about the Raging Heroes Witch Elves. Yeah, those things are awesome. Raging Heroes is a European company. They're a smaller company. Uh, they do computer-rendered sculpts. And so that... It can kind of turn people off. When you look at their previews, it's all a computer shot. So you've got a very specific look to it, and it, it can look a little bit, I'm not sure what the word is, um, but it look, looks a little over-finished sometimes in their preview shots. But you see these models in the flesh, and it, it's just a completely different look and a completely different design than what you see. And all three of us here were actually privileged enough to see them a couple weeks ago. One of the guys who plays Warhammer in our Escalation League brought in a unit of those uh, Raging Heroes Witch Elves. And what do you guys think about them? They are by far the most gorgeous Witch Elf models I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Partially because of the toplessness of many of the models. <laughs> but No comment. <laughs> but yeah, no, those, those things are amazing. I really, one of my few things I regret not doing at Gen Con when I went this year was not buying my own unit when they were sitting there at the Cool Meneer Knot booth. Yeah. 
which is a great way if you're in America because the company does not ship or they'll ship internationally, but there's they have no online stores presence in the Correct. U.S. But you can get them through Cool Mini or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're wow. They're they're some of my favorite models from a no, of different vendor that are out there currently. Yeah, they are some amazing models. Now I'm gonna just kind of go through this from a very Warhammer centric perspective, just so I, I figure that's what most people are most used to. They are definitely in the heroic 28 millimeter style. They're a little bit taller than, for example, the plastic Dark Elf Warriors uh, that they were sitting next to. I think that actually adds a lot to the model. And the models themselves are a lot thinner uh, because GW uses plastic, and especially with those older plastic kits, they didn't have the technology or the molds to really make them look graceful. Even comparison to the current GW, which I'll... That's correct, yeah. yeah which it originally started out as a metal model. Mm-hmm. Those are a little bit thicker and bulkier. And I think GW does that, or Games Workshop does that, to try to prevent damage in shipping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because one of the drawbacks is that these models are... They, some of the limbs and stuff are so thin that they can break in shipping. And then, of course, that's what the gentleman who's got them, he's like, yeah, one of them came already broken. And, of course, since I ordered it direct, they're going to mm-hmm. go ahead and replace it. No problem. They've given me but it's But it's an international ship. He ordered them directly from the from Raging Hero. So he's he's got to wait you know, for it to get through customs and whatever, and it takes an additional little bit of time to get them. Yeah, that's that's the the sad reality about some of these gorgeous miniatures is I, I love them. And I, I, uh, I had a bunch of confrontation miniatures as well, and they had that same... French style of having some really thin pieces and they look really amazing and I, I want to play with them and I want to put them on the table but there's a lot there is potentially a gameplay issue with them breaking there, there's going to have to be some special care taken for storage and for playing with these models but, but without, that said yeah I, I, I it's definitely worth it when you see these models on the tabletop they just have such a presence that really isn't present right now in in the female sculpts of Games Workshop if I have one big beef with Games Workshop sculpts, it's that their females almost never actually look like females. And now a lot of people out there are probably going to say, yeah, they're topless. Of course they're female. That's why you like the Raging Heroes ones. But I'll sit there and I'll look with my wife and I'll say, look, look at this model, this witch elf model. It looks a little mannish. It's obviously female, but the face looks very mannish. And the Raging Heroes models exceptionally well capture a, a female musculature, a female um, bone structure much better than Games Workshop does in their miniatures. Uh, there's maybe two or three miniatures in the Games Workshop range that I feel actually capture that well, and I think they're going to have to be in the Wood Elf range. And that's always something that's kind of bothered me a little bit. I want the miniatures that are female to look female in every aspect of the miniature themselves. Especially with the elf elf ranges where mm-hmm. you've already got a more delicate bone structure. Mm-hmm. When you've got a female elf, she should look very different than a male human. Mm-hmm. And in the face of the old witch elves especially, you don't see that as much. No. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. So if you're going to be picking up the Witch Elves right now, actually, I think they're somewhat comparable because the Witch Elves are in a five-pack and fine cast for Games Workshop, and the Raging Heroes are going to be in metal. I think the prices are going to be pretty They're pretty close. close. When I saw Gen Con, they were like $25 U.S. Dollars mm-hmm. from Cool Me or Not um, for a box, which is almost exactly the same price. You're getting well, basically exactly the same, the same price. price as the metal models here. 
But there you go. There's my opinion of those Raging Heroes miniatures. I think they're really really nice. I think they have a great presence on the tabletop, and I think they'd be an excellent purchase for anybody playing a Dark Elf army. And, of course, like always, Raging Heroes, check them out for any and all of their other miniatures that they have. Like their like Mantis all these Warriors. And we're going to be talking about Chaos Dwarves in a little bit, and they have a wonderful Lamasu model as well. So, so check them out. All right, sounds good. So we'll go ahead and take a break here, and then when we come back, we'll go ahead and talk more Warhammer. What what what's that place? The last the last circle, the the last triangle. No wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on Odana Road. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. They have the huge selection of miniatures. Everything from five millimeter scale all the way up to twenty five, twenty eight. Everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin, with every wargaming need you can just about imagine or think you wanted, and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. All right, we are back. And we've got another special guest, Carl from The Last Square, here to talk to us to us a little bit about The Last Square and all of the coolness that's going on. Of course, today there's a giant Guadalcanal battle that's going on. That thing is amazing. I mean, you can definitely check out pics from, like, the. I'm sure they're going up on The Last Square's fa- Facebook feed. I'm sure there will be pics that go up on The Last Square's site. But, mm-hmm. of course, we're going to get some pics, too, before we leave the store. I mean, I'm just floored at how awesome. It, it's just crazy. What, what, what exactly is going on with a big game back there, Carl? Well, we started this about uh, four months ago, the planning and the uh, painting of the figures, but basically it's a recreation of the Guadalcanal battles in 1942, mm-hmm. and so you have three components. There's two teams, a Japanese team and a U.S. team, and the three components are the land combat, the air combat, and the naval combat. Mm-hmm. And so we have two very large tables with different areas on Guadalcanal itself where the Marines are holding off the Japanese who are trying to take Henderson Field. And then uh, next to that is a table where the air combat is taking place where Marine Wildcats are fighting Japanese Zeros. And finally in the back we have the naval combat, which is the night actions, which are went on off of the shores of Guadalcanal where the Japanese were trying to land more reinforcements or bombard Henderson Field, and the Americans tried to stop them from doing it. So these actions and all these games are interdependent so that if the naval action is a success for the Japanese, they'll get more troops available on the land combat. (laughs) Pilots get shot down. Um, They may get captured or rescued by whichever side is after them at that particular point. And then the same thing with the air combat. If the uh, Japanese are successful or the Americans are successful, it'll in turn go on to the other games where they may be bombing ships or they may do ground attack on the marines and japanese wow that is crazily impressive that's got to take a small effort of labor to try to coordinate that all <laughs> and get that going so that's exactly i mean that's a big i'm wow I mean, i'm really <laughs> impressed well we have uh three different game masters or four different game masters i should say there's one fellow that's doing the running the naval games and uh, that scale is uh 1250 scale um, where the ships are fairly large, and uh, we, he has an extensive collection of the ships. And then uh, we have another fellow by the name of uh, Bruce Henderson who's running the uh, 
uh, air campaign using Check Your Six. And finally, uh, there's Bill Chekovich and, and Seth Markroff who are running the land combat using Arc of Fire for 25-millimeter skirmish rules. It looks uh, it looks really really cool. Yeah, I, I gotta <laughs> say, I mean, I, I'm I love all sorts of miniatures games. I mm-hmm. love historical type stuff, and that's just one just one of the many kind of things that are going that always go on at the Last Square. I mean, there's always gaming minis games going on here at the Last Square, and a number of different games, not just Warhammer Fantasy mm-hmm. and 40k, but all sorts of crazy games that are available available here. What I mean, I, I mean the historicals. That's something a lot of our listeners maybe have some interest in. They don't they don't see or hear about. But there's all sorts of crazy lines from you know ancient very you know the various ancient mm-hmm. lines you know from warlords and I think, I think there's probably another miniatures company or two that you got here that are are just doing ancient lines whether it's just rules or or minis. And then of course you got Flames of War. You've got yeah, I mean you've got even like World I think six millimeters going on as well uh, back in the there back are, room. Yeah, the historic line you basically start from ancients and you go all the way through modern, and then uh, on top of that, of course, you have when you get into the modern period, you start getting into more diverse areas like uh, air combat or naval combat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ancient combat, in many aspects, the ancients play very much like Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. In other words, you've got guys who, if you looked at them, they could very easily fit within the Bretonian or the Empire armies. So there's a lot of crossover. In fact, I find most gamers enjoy both venues, whether it's in fantasy or whether it's in historic. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big things. Like, a lot of historicals do, there's a lot of complexity to game systems to try to em- try to make sure ensure that we emulate how it actually happened and how these troops actually fought on the table. So you get so you get sometimes a little more complex in a game that's not just something you play as a pickup game. And so it's great to take those ancients and then you have a crossover to a game like Warhammer where you can where it's a two hour, it's a very good pickup system mm-hmm. and works really well. So you get a lot of use, usage and diversity of out of your stuff. So uh, Carl, a question I have for you is why did you start getting into miniatures and which scale and why did you keep doing it? Well, I, I started when I was a small kid, actually, and at that time there were no miniature uh, rule sets out <laughs> Back there. Back in my day. Uh, but what I started with was uh, a company by the name of Avalon Hill had mm-hmm. a lot of strategy and tactic games, uh, board games, and that's how I started. And uh, I can remember when my kids were real small, we went to uh, Gen Con when it was in Milwaukee, yep. uh, the first year that it actually was in Milwaukee. And... Uh, when we went there, there was a fella who was playing with some 15-millimeter Ancients miniatures with a game called DBM. And I saw that, and I was like, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so we started getting into miniatures and uh, playing some of the games that were out there, mostly on the historic side, because there really wasn't much in the way of fantasy at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, then they started out with uh, Dungeons & Dragons, which was a fantasy-oriented game with miniatures, but not really a miniatures game as per se. Mm-hmm. But I can remember when uh, Games Workshop came out with the original Space Hulk mm-hmm. game. <laughs> And we got that for Christmas, and the boys and I played that so often. And that was so neat. And that really introduced the boys then into 40K. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they picked up uh, Warhammer Fantasy. 
But uh, since then, especially in the late 80s and 90s, it was really a renaissance in gaming where so many different miniature venues came out with fantasy, different companies in fantasy gaming. And, uh, uh, of course, then Games Workshop really started to take off. But uh, like today now you have War Machine and Hordes from Privateer Press Mm -hmm. and you have the Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40K from Games Workshop. But there are all kinds of games out there, um, Infinity and uh, Malifaux for miniatures, where you just so many different venues, so many different gaming systems that uh, it's hard to get bored. In fact, that's the problem. (laughs) There's so much stuff out there. It's hard to focus sometimes on what you really want to do because all of them are fun in their own right. Yeah, I mean, and certainly one of the things we want to point out is all of these games we're talking about, they're all available here at the Square. Um, Mm -hmm. On the shelf, not only on the shelf, but through the uh, Last Square's website, thelastsquare.com, which I understand has recently went under some significant renovation to kind of update it and bring it more in line with what what you have on this, both on the shelf and what you're trying to do with your online sales. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah, we've expanded our online shopping considerably, and we have a shopping cart there now. The big thing is is that even with all of that, there are so many lines. Most of them are in the historic side where literally their lines are so huge you can't even get them on a website uh, and efficiently (laughs) shop with them. And so there's a lot of things that aren't even on the website that we do carry. It's just uh, it's very difficult. And as an example, the Heroics and Raw 6-millimeter historic where there are thousands of skews between airplanes, tanks, and men, where it's just a huge undertaking to get all of that stuff onto the website. But eventually we'll get it all on there. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of important. They've got all the contact information for the squares on the site. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and, you can't, and you're not in the Madison area, you can always go to thelastsquare.com mm-hmm. and get their contact information. And if you don't see what you want, give them a ring, and they'll definitely be able to hook you up with it, and they'll let you know what it'll cost and all those kind of things. The other thing I'd like to point out, too, is that if you have special venues, like the game that we're doing today with Guadalcanal, but uh, we've also done the similar thing in uh, Warhammer 40K. Mm-hmm. We did a Siege of Terra at one point uh, where we had a, a huge layout of uh, the, the the Horus Heresy and the Siege of Terra, and that was an all-day event that guys came in for, and a lot of people put some effort into it. So it's kind of neat sometimes to come up with an idea and... And sometimes the ideas may be too large for just one person to do, <laughs> but you come in with an idea of how you want to execute it, and then we can sit down and we can organize a day and, and pick a weekend out and actually do something that's unique and large that you just can't do on your own mm-hmm. on a pickup game. But it is fun when you do some of these very large games, both visually as well as, as for the guys. Like today, everybody who came in here, and they paid a small fee, I think it was $20, and that includes your munchies your soda Mm -hmm. um, lunch supper and then the games all day long and they'll be going on until eight nine o'clock tonight but you can do the same thing with fantasy you can do Mm -hmm. the same thing with any any venue if it's a big idea just come in with the idea and let's sit down and work out the logistics of it yeah, and it was something we were actually talking off the air about. Is yep. to, right now we've got the, of course, the Warhammer Fantasy Escalation League, which has been a pretty good success because we went from not a lot of guys. We kind of we just kind of helped try to get things going in the last year here with Warhammer Fantasy, and it was kind of a smaller group. We got the group kind of growing now with the with the Escalation League. Now we're getting eight or ten guys usually here a weekend on Tuesday nights, and 
On top of that, I'm thinking we're going to camp. We're going to try to work it out so we can cap off that escalation league with a, a big game in January. Something where you can bring everybody in that's participated in the league all week, get them the lunch, get them the everything, and work really. And it's really a pleasure to work really closely with the square. They make it very easy for us to do. So any of you guys that are event organizers, you're in the Madison area, mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely, I, I definitely <laughs> got to say these guys are great. I mean, they were great for you. You yep. worked with them for the exactly. RockCon, uh, which they're very strongly affiliated with, and is a amazingly great little mini convention um, for wargaming and gaming in general too. That's out of Rockford, so that's definitely worth checking out as well. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on, Carl, to talk about running games and how you got into it. Uh, it's always nice to hear somebody who, you know, just genuinely has a passion for the games. Well, thank you very much. This is uh, pretty neat for us uh, to have you guys here and and uh, seeing all you, the equipment that you set up and <laughs> listening to you guys broadcast, especially since you're not even getting paid for this. You're doing a very wonderful job, and uh, I certainly appreciate it. Well, we appreciate guys. being able to come here and play games and hopefully lots of great things in the future. Exactly. Oh, yeah. All right. All Thanks right. a lot. Thank yeah. you. All right, we'll go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, uh, we'll go ahead and get we'll into our Tamarcon discussion. All right. My precious, your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah, it's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also you can check them out for board games as well, I hear Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right, well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Okay, so we're back. We are back. And what we're going to go ahead and... We kind of missed in our <laughs> intro there, but we forgot to kind of tell people what we're going to talk about today. And today, we're primarily going to talk about the Chaos Dwarves. Dun, that's correct. So, and that's why, one of the reasons we brought Dustin on, because he's kind of our resident Chaos Dwarf player in Madison. That is also correct. So, let's go ahead and, first off, any of you guys have any special thoughts or do you want to share about Chaos Dwarves before we kind of delve into the units and... Well, it's kind of interesting that Chaos Dwarves are an official army now, uh, especially being Chaos Dwarfified for so long. <laughs> and coming out of Forge World, they're an expensive army. We've talked a lot, I think, in the past about how many converted armies that we've seen and how few of the actual Forge World models that we've seen. I'm really, really excited to have another army added to the Warhammer universe, regardless of whether or not they're from Forge World or from Mantic or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I- I'm really happy to have more variety when I'm playing lists. So. One of the things, I mean, the, in one of the things overall when you look at the whole list, though, is the whole army, you figure at minimum you're going to get away with $300, $350 to buy a Warhammer army. That's kind of your minimum bottom end price if, if you just buy the models directly from GW or try yeah. full price GW prices and you fill in with like battalions to get to 2,000 points. You're probably about three or $350, which isn't horrific. 
no. to get an army on the board. I think in the cast of terms, you're probably about the same price tag because all of the models tend to be fairly expensive points-wise, as we'll come to see. Mm-hmm. So you you can probably put a cast dwarf army on the board from Forge World for probably $350, $400. I would probably nudge that up to about 400 450 but that's just, I mean, I've kind of priced out the basic idea of it, and to get your basic core unit of Fertile Guard, which we'll talk about in a minute, it's over $100. So that adds, I mean, usually your core is going to be one of your cheapest options, or there's going to be a battalion boxed that'll enable you to do that. But that adds a, that adds that little extra 50 maybe $100 on top of it. Um, Even but, still, that's not too horrific. No, no, it's not, especially for... I love the design of the miniatures for Chaos Dwarves. I, I've, Forge World just does a great job with that. I'll agree, and um, I think a lot of the the problem with the Forge World is just sticker shock. Uh-huh. You look at the individual units and you see, wow, that costs a lot. 36 pounds, holy crap, for 10 models. But then you go and you look at your list and you price it out, and it's not as bad as it looks at first. No, it isn't. And it's definitely feasible. It, the big difference, I think, is that we're so used to... Warhammer Miniatures having, for example, here at the last square, 20% off retail anytime you want to. And Forge World never does that. Forge World doesn't do sales because they produce such limited quantities. And Forge World models retain so much of their value even after they've been bought just because it's something that only is produced in one place in the world. And you have to order from them or go there to get it. Well, one of the nice things, too, is that they are now coming here to the U.S. more at conventions. I mean, they were at, I mean, they've been traditionally at Adepticon. Correct. And they're obviously at, when you have U.S. Games Days, they're at those. Yep. And they were at Gen Con this year, and from all I hear, they're fully intending on coming back next year. So mm-hmm. that's really good news for those for all those of us that are in the U.S. that have limited access to getting Forge World product. Mm-hmm. Um, and have to pay extra shipping or buy ridiculous quantities or team up with your buddies to get an order from Forge World. So That's that number two sticker shock price. You price out the miniature and you're like, oh, sweet, I can get this for around $300. $300. And you realize that that's only about you know 200 maybe 230 in British pounds. And, oh, I only get free shipping if I order over 250 British pounds. Okay, uh, what else do I need to pick up? <laughs> yeah, because that could be thirty, forty, fifty bucks, and when you get up to the top end, so it, it's a lot of money. You know, like it's not so bad. Like if you decide, like okay, I'm going to purchase my entire army right off in one one go. But what happens then when either they come out with another new unit for it? Like the, cause everything, <laughs> out, everything's out of stock. Like okay, I bought every, I bought everything, but there's no Kadai. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've not played with a Kadai, and I'm waiting for them to come out with their Kadai. And then I decide, okay, I want to buy their Kadai later. Well, that doesn't get me free ship. Oh, crud. Now uh, <laughs> what am I going to do? I, I'm going to have to either wait for them to be here or just pay the price. So it's a unique aspect of this army that makes for a lot more interesting visuals on the tabletop because a lot of players will choose to convert them. Which gets me into the, you know my old kind of stickler <laughs> rant. It's one of those things like I'm... As much as I love seeing the converted stuff, and like Dustin's cast dwarves are spot on, really coolly converted. But I'm almost to the point of like, ah, I'm sick. Of, I would just want to see the actual Forge Girl <laughs> models on the table because the conversions are the norm in the U.S. and mm-hmm. the actual models are the rarity. Yeah, I know in the U.K. they have a lot of cast dwarf players, and a lot of them do use the Forge World miniatures, but their exchange rate is one to one. So when it says thirty six pounds. 
it's thirty six pounds. Well, not only that, but it's in, you know they can you know there's a number of GWs, GWHQs there. You know you can just go right down to the store and where you're gaming at, and you can pick those models up. Yeah. So and you, that's a real difficulty here in the U.S. There's nothing like like there's that's the real difficulty is that the models are not on the shelf. So if you want to do them. You've got to wait to get your models. You've got to plan your purchases, and that's you got to you know, be an adult. No impulse buys <laughs> or anything like that for a cast Dwarf army. Exactly, unless it's a really big impulse buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which Ben has been known to do in the past. I have been. I almost did it at Gen Con this year. I, if I'd have had like three hundred dollars in my pocket, I would have impulse bought some cast Dwarfs. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's go ahead. Then I think we've kind of. Beating that to a good pulp, let's go ahead and just uh, talk cast dwarf characters, and we'll start with the lords. What do we have? What's the what do they have in the lord category that makes me jump out on the page and go, "Wow"? Well, numbered one. There's only two options, and one of them's a special character. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> so that's number one. So, the so they char- have a special character, mm-hmm. and what's the other? What's the other? Is it like a wizard then? Uh, sorcerer, prophet, level three wizard. That's so they correct. don't have like a normal fighty hero. No, they don't. They do not, but the Prophet is still definitely a little better in combat than your standard standard level 4 wizard. He comes with strength 4, toughness 5, 3 attacks, a black shard armor, which gives him a 4 plus save and the ability to take a shield, Mm -hmm. and he comes with a magic weapon that gives random bonuses. And he comes with leadership 10. That, to me, is the really different thing about having a level 4 or a level 3 as your lord. He comes with leadership 10. That's not present in any other spellcaster that I'm aware of in the game unless you go to, like, greater demons. Well, I mean, that, that fits in, I think, with the traditional dwarfs, though. The dwarfs need a leader 10 lord, and that, so he follows that. And otherwise, there's not a huge jump between lord and hero. Mm-hmm. But then if you're talking about the traditional dwarf, the thing that really sticks out for me is that you've got the mounts which is something that dwarves don't have. So you've got the Great tor- the great Taurus, the Lamasu, and the Bale Taurus. And that's a pretty mobile dwarf lord. And that right off tells you a little bit about how the list works, I think. All right, so what, what about the special character? What's, what's cool about him? Well, he looks awesome. <laughs> how how does one. he look awesome? I'm just looking at, at a, a, the Tamarcon book, which... Is amazingly cool in the the construction and the paper. It reminds me very much of like my collector's edition mm-hmm. Warhammer Fantasy rulebook, in the kind of neat and coolness of him. But why does he look cool? Well, I can't divorce the fact that I've seen this model <laughs> from the profile on the page. But he automatically comes on a Bale Taurus, and not only a regular Bale Taurus, he comes with an upgraded Bale. Bale Taurus. Yeah, so. doesn't he have his own special model then too from Forge World? Because they have a normal Bale Taurus that you can buy, and then you have the special character on Bale Taurus. That's mm-hmm. actually a different sculpt of the Bale Taurus. That is correct. Yes, I'm not actually a hundred percent positive that the Bale Taurus sculpt isn't just Drazoath not on it and Drazoath. No, it's it's a different sculpt. I, His ones. I, I believe one's it's like landing slightly on its different. Feet and okay. one is more four feet on the base or something like uh, that. It's just more of this is the whole thing within the U.S. I've never seen these in person, so I honestly can't tell you. <laughs> kind of hard to tell from the yeah. little pictures on Forge World. Exactly. So uh, that's that's the only point I would make on that. But uh, he automatically comes with a Bale Taurus and a level four. So that that's pretty fun. <laughs> that, that adds a lot of flexibility to him in the list in general. 
Uh, he comes at level four instead of level three, so that's included in his profile. I don't know. He's just he's cool. <laughs> he's cool. His special rules are a little lackluster, though, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's only I believe he's got a five plus ward. Yeah, so he's got a five plus ward save, which is a little light for a mounted character that costs five hundred and seventy points. Yes. What about the Bale Taurus itself? I mean, it's. I mean, how cannonball proof is that guy? Not very. Uh, it's <laughs> toughness six with five wounds, so it it really does not like taking cannons to the face. <laughs> no, so about a about a third of the time, you know, you wound it, and on that wound roll, about a third of the time, you take it off on the d six wounds. Yep. Would you guys consider ever fielding the the dude on the Bale Taurus, or is that kind of something in your 2,000, your 2,400 points you're just not going to do? Well, the, for 570 points, he's not fieldable at 2,000. Well, <laughs> say 2,400 points or whatever. You know, that's a mm-hmm. Blood in the Sun. That's a tournament that we kind of regularly go to, That's uh-huh. which just actually announced uh, early registration. So That's correct. I think the only way that I would take a either Drezhoath or a normal Sorcerer Prophet on a Taurus would be if I was doing a very non-traditional fast army with lots of bull centaurs and two Kadai destroyers. And that kind of army isn't necessarily going to win you friends. So maybe <laughs> when you get to like three or 4,000 points, you start thinking about putting them, because then you can have maybe the second lord. But like your normal your normal tournament game, you're probably never going to see a, a Bale Taurus on the table unless somebody's just wanting to put their really awesome Forge World model on the board. Correct. Most uh, of the time, yeah. it's it's going to be tricky to to not just lose to cannons when you throw that down. And I, I think the other thing is as because we did point out the everything in the army is very high in points that when you all of a sudden you've got a 500 plus point model on the board and then you're trying to slip in your core which is going to cost we'll talk about that in a little bit but you you know 25 percent of your army for core Mm -hmm. and then if you want to put in kadai's or the really cool dwarf fort artillery you start really really running low on points yeah or model count or both so the only kind of nice thing about the taurus in my opinion is that if you target it with a spell from the lore of fire it immediately regains d3 wounds lost earlier in the battle so there actually is a mechanic to make sure that this monster doesn't just disappear if you want to actually take the time to but make it's sure. But it's what, tough six? Tough, tough six. six, correct. So, I mean, all, most of the lore of fire stuff is strength four, so why am I black? No, know, no, you, what, uh, you buff it. The, there's only one spell that's in the lore of fire, fire that, that you can buffs. actually cast on mm-hmm. the Taurus in order to heal it, and that's flame, or, uh, the, the flaming, flaming sword. sword of ruin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you get that and you don't need it in combat, it now, can be a nice buff. What spell lures are actually available to the cast dwarf wizards? Good question. Uh, uh, he can select from fire, metal, or death, or his own special lore of Hashut. Okay, so what, out of those, what's what's the lore that you think people should take? Hashut. <laughs> Hashut most of the time. Death, Why is that? Death can be a good lore, but... A Hashut is just crazy. Let me let me pull up that page. I think number one, Lore of Hashut is something that nobody else has. And I think it's pretty powerful and that in and of itself. I've heard of a couple of just ridiculous spells in that lore. Which what are the spells that people want to really look out for or really want to try to stop folk make sure that they have dice or dispel scrolls to stop? So there are there are two that are really really <laughs> bad here. Um, you mean f- awesome, <laughs> depending on uh, which direction, whether you're looking at down the barrel of that gun or not. Yeah. Um, Ash Storm is the number four spell in the lore. It's cast on a twelve plus, and 
This one, it's just, it's descriptions just keep going. It's got a range of 24 that gives uh, the target minus 1 to hit in close combat and minus 2 to hit with shooting attacks till the start of the caster's next magic phase. It's, that's not bad. In addition, the unit may only use its base move, may not charge, march, or fly. The ability to tell a unit that you can't charge me this turn is crazy powerful. Yes, that is pretty big. And it keeps going. And it keeps going. The unit also treats all terrain except impassable, obviously, as dangerous terrain while the spell's effects last. And it keeps going. And it keeps going. Wizards cannot cast spells except on themselves while under the effect of this hex. And it keeps going. Any unit under the effect is treated as being flammable. More on that later. Uh, yes. Wow. Okay. So, so that's 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 ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say. That's, I mean, awesome. that's 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 kind of a six die wonder right there. So this spell yeah, wins a six games. dice monkey. You know, is, is there are there obviously when you roll that spell, are you shooting for that spell? Um, is there really a point then to taking another wizard with the list? To to complement this guy because you're kind of you know every, you're almost dedicating six die to that spell almost every turn. I I think there is because the number six in combination with number four makes for some fun stuff going on. I mean yeah. your average phase is only seven dice, so if you're six dying the one spell, you've on average got a spell a dice left. See that's that's the thing though is um it's a twelve chaos plus. dwarf. Casters, the hero levels, they come with extra bonuses. There are other reasons to include them in the army. Yeah, because they also count as kind of an engineer as well, right? Yep, they allow your war machines to re-roll either the artillery or scatter die if they're within three inches. So it's a dwarf engineer, but better. <laughs> well, a dwarf engineer gets to gets to still choose his war machine, right? And and same with these guys. Yes. yes. They get the, whereas the KS or the uh, Empire ones have mm-hmm. to pick the machine before you roll the dice. Well, I, it was more the point of they are a Chaos Dwarf Engineer, and they're also a Magic Caster. And taking one of these is really nice. They do not have access to the special Chaos Dwarf lore, so you can take Metal, Death, or Fire with them. And taking somebody with uh, a level one with Fire can be really nice to get Fireball, park him with your War Machines, and uh, Fireball will usually help clear away any chaff that comes to call. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Fireball, you can you can throw a one die after. So if you roll an average phase and somehow after the miscast or you roll your six die, if you still somehow have that dice left, you can still throw that one dice at Fireball and hope to get it off. Well, yep. and the big thing is that if you target the same unit as Ashstorm, they're now flammable. So all the wounds count as two wounds. So if you're fighting any kind of Monstrous infantry or monstrous cavalry. This is amazing. Yeah, ogres don't like that. Yeah, the number six spell makes it even better, in my opinion. So the number six spell, Flames of Asgore, is cast on an 18+, which is a little high, but once you see what it does. (laughs) All right, so this is a direct damage spell. Any point on the table within line of sight. So it needs line of sight, but it has infinite range. Yes. Which is awesome. Number one. So you place the small template with the hole on the ch- target point, standard scatter D6. All models touched suffer a strength six hit. Yeah, we're, that's pretty good. Hits from the spell have flaming attacks and multiple wounds D6. In, All hits. In addition, the model directly under the hole must take a toughness test at minus two 
or be slain outright with no saves of any kind. The sorcerer may choose to use a large template for a 25+. Plus. And note that unlike most direct damage spells with different template sizes, the bigger one does not scatter more. No. And wow. and I think the real thing is when comboed with Ash Storm, you potentially are causing 12 wounds on a single model in one turn. Well, I think the real thing here is this is almost Purple Sun against Ogres. <laughs> yes, that too. Every model, D6 wounds. And if it's flammable, okay, I rolled two, you die. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> I'll give you a... I mean, Chaos Dwarves are literally, in my opinion, the opposite of Ogres and can destroy them at will. Well, the opposite of any all the multi-wound stuff. So, like, you know, seeing, like, Troll Horde armies, mm-hmm. uh, you seeing the... Uh, the amount of monsters you have, the demographs and whatever. Yep. It sounds like this is kind of like the rock, paper, scissors. You know, this is the rock to to the scissors of mm-hmm. all of those big multi-wound units that are we're kind of seeing the hit the board, you know, plus the advent of more monsters. I mean, certainly, like, from my Tomb King perspective, this is like, oh, okay. my goodness. <laughs> I mean, everything I have on the board is multi-wound except for 20 archers. So this is a concern, especially if you can wo- start if you can score the wounds on those, I mean, on my, like, big war beasts and stuff, on my sphinxes and stuff. Then I'm like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. I'm in real trouble because this thing's now going to take two or three or four or five wounds from a single successful six. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a big deal. <laughs> All right, so what other characters are available to the to the uh, cast dwarves that we well, want to kind of note on? All right. Um, well, we've already talked about the Demon Smith Sorcerers, who's who, amazing. who are pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, 95 points for a, uh, a level one, who, again, they've got black shard armor, and they come with an ensorcelled hand weapon, which is uh, pulled straight out of the Warriors of Chaos book, which means they've got magical attacks and a strength 5. And they're leadership 9. For uh, a hero-level sorcerer. It is a dwarf, though. Everything's leader 9 that's a dwarf in the book, in the list. So that uh, is kind of still... to be granted. <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> and uh, so the other character that we've got available, um, dwarf character, is the Infernal Castellan, who's your standard fighting hero. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be your BSB. And they are stubborn, which is pretty nice making your leadership 10 off of the Sorcerer Prophet blocks stubborn with a BSB re-roll. You're pretty well, much not going to go It anywhere. saves you from having to buy the Stubborn Crown, too. You just buy one or two of those, put those in your big blocks, and you're, you can count on those to just stick. And a lot of people still use the Stubborn Crown in the Sorcerer Prophet, Put him in one block of infantry, put the Castellan BSB in the other, and you've got two blocks that are not going anywhere. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that's that's kind of that's frustrating. Pr- <laughs> Ben's like, why did I agree to do this review? I'm no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad because we're going to, we're going to North Star and this weekend. And we're definitely going to have, we're going to be riding up there with a Chaos Dwarf player. Or five Chaos Dwarf players mm-hmm. I thought were going to be at this event. So if you're running the top tables, I mean, I'm bringing Dark Elves. I need to know how to... I, this review is really good for me because I need to be able to deal with them. <laughs> and note, um, there's with Castorf characters, there's no reason that any list, 1,000 points or up, should not include both the Charmed Shield and the Enchanted Shield. <laughs> These are just too good to pass up with mm-hmm. when combined with a 4-plus base armor save, yeah. especially on a wizard. Yeah. Sure. Um, and next, we're going to move on to the Hobgoblin Con. 
I, I think you should just call him Chaff because yes, he is. <laughs> he's the only reliable Chaff that mm-hmm. cast dwarves have available to them, and being in the hero slot is is a little tricky with the expense of other heroes, mm-hmm. but. At 2,000 points, I'm running two, and I wouldn't leave home without that. Yeah, I mean, for 52 points, you've got a movement nine, two-wound hero running around holding up stuff. That's, now, that's pretty fun. Is there an actual model for this guy right now? No. All right, so no. he would never make the Conzies list. Yeah, so <laughs> actually the Hobgoblin Con and the Hobgoblin Cutthroats, this is actually kind of a good point. And there's also some Wolf Riders as well in the rare choice. From what I have heard, Forge World will never make these models because they're four points apiece. And to be paying four pounds per model for a four point per model... <laughs> that's dedication. That That's a lot, a lot of money. And so I, I've heard that Forge World will not produce models for these simply because they don't think that they'll sell, number one. And number two, it's kind of extortionate at that point <laughs> if you're really going to be like all Forge World. So the door is open for all the hobgoblins in this list that they should be converted one way or another. Or or an alternative company to come in and and, and fill that hole. Yeah, for example, Mantic, uh, I think their goblins work perfectly as hobgoblins in a Chaos Dwarf list, I, especially with the their kind of night goblin-y looking ones. They don't look night goblin-ish enough for me, but I think they would look great as hobgoblins. I'll go ahead and agree with that. I yeah. think right. they're they're pretty good there. Mm-hmm. What else? Is there any other characters then that we... Uh, there know? is one more hero. And that is the Bull Centaur Taruk. Taruk. And uh, he's a little pricey at 155 points, but you get a lot for that price tag. Yeah. It's movement 7, weapon skill 5, strength 5, toughness 5, 4 wounds, and 4 attacks. And leadership 9. 4 wounds is nice on a hero. And initiative 4. Which is hard to come (laughs) by in this army. Exactly. um, So he can take... Black shard armor and comes with five plus scaly skin, which means so, you're going to have a hard time pulling him a off. Two plus, RSA. two plus without having to put a whole lot of investment. And can he take a shield then? Yep. Too? He can. So he can get to a one plus without any magical item assistance. Really, yep. It's giving you freeing you up. He, he can take magic items, right? Or is he, he come? can? He can. Yeah, so yeah, because he's a normal hero. So yeah, it's. I mean, you, you do drop what you probably the time you're done if you put magic items and all the gear on them. You're what looking two twenty two, mm-hmm. two forty if you kid him out all the way. Well, if uh, with just black shard armor and a shield, he's running one seventy five, and he can take fifty points of magic items. So he, you are basically buying a lord for any of anybody else's army, and essentially. And this does get into the whole. Okay, now I, I'm running out of points. Where do I? You know, do I really want to put this guy on the board because of the points? Mm-hmm. So and there's no model for him at the moment as well. Correct. Um, often where you'll see this is in a big unit of bull centaurs as a delivery vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that big unit will run up the board, and often the Taruk will charge out of that unit at one target and leave the unit on its own to go wreck havoc elsewhere. Yeah. It, it, okay. It, it's a lot of flexibility, a lot of tactical flexibility. Over, a, for example, a standard dwarf list. Okay, so we we kind of mentioned one of the core units so far, and that were the hobgoblins, mm-hmm. and they're basically goblins in all pretty much most, yep. if not all, respects. Animosity, hand weapon, light armor. They've got throwing knives, so they're kind of a combination between normal goblins and say knoblars. They're twenty plus four points apiece. They can be upgraded to have extra stuff, but they're chaff. 
And the, and they <laughs> are proper greenskins, if I understand right, too. Uh, it doesn't say greenskins, but yes, I believe that they would. I don't think classify. it says greenskins technically in the in the orcs and goblins book either. So exactly, yeah. So um, I, I believe like your dwarf, your normal dwarf hatred and stuff like that gets to apply to them. Yes, and uh, like all greenskins, they also suffer from animosity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is triggered off of, uh, I believe, it is a leadership test. Wait, let's see. Let me check the rule. Yeah, but like I said, there's no models for these, so that's. I don't think there ever will be models for Forge World. And that's, that's a kind unique of disappointing aspect. because if I did buy the army, I would definitely buy just because I'm kind of. I want to see the actual Forge World models on the board, so mm-hmm. I would be the guy that would actually buy all of the Hobgoblins. <laughs> but I can certainly agree, too. Like, that is steep for a four point per model to have to spend that much money. Exactly. Of course, I happily spend that kind of cash <laughs> on like the old trying to get the old 80s 90s metal night goblins mm-hmm. because they have so much character i i drop a lot of money on ebay when i buy those up too and i have i have looked um seen on ebay some of the old metal games workshop hobgoblin models mm-hmm. are running twenty dollars for three yeah i so. used to yeah. have some of those I'd, i made a nice trade for an army <laughs> for like 30 miniatures <laughs> yeah so i mean there's there's some uh, real flexibility there as far as uh, price tags. So if there's anything you get from that, it's Forge World. There, there are some suckers out there that will buy these. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the other? I understand there's two core choices, so we have one other core choice then. Correct. The uh, Chaos Dwarf Infernal Guard are mm-hmm. our basic core choice. And these are uh, pretty nice-looking profile. Like dwarves, they're movement three, mm-hmm. but they're looking at weapon skill, strength, and toughness of four. With an initi- initiative of two and a leadership of nine. So these are really big, better than your basic dwarf warrior. With one attack. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, these are exactly in between a standard dwarf warrior and a standard chaos warrior. They're basically a combination of both. They're very similar to a dwarf longbeard, except that they're uh, a little bit better armor save built in. Mm-hmm. Yep, but they're the same points as a chaos warrior, now, the- but with one less attack and one less move. Now the other thing that that's with these guys is these are really this this selection while it is a single unit entry in the book it really has a lot of customization and you can really I mean it really could be three or four or five different entries in a normal army book right correct. that's correct they've got sword and board so shield and hand weapon that comes standard for the 12 points then for 3 points you can put great weapons on them for 5 points you can give them what are called fire glaives and for six points apiece, you can give them what are called hail shot blunderbusses. Now, great weapons are—they're um, an interesting choice because you're now looking at fifteen points apiece yep. for dwarves with great weapons. But of course, horde—you know—you only need to put one core unit early on the board, so you could, you know, spend all your core. I think on, on buy one, one big, big block, old unit of great weapon. Throw dwarves. in your BSB with them, mm-hmm. so they're stubborn. You throw them in horde, like thirty, forty strong. Yeah, sure, that's that's all your points, but that's one giant bunker of. Yeah, I challenge you to bust this. Oh yeah, well, and and game wise, I completely agree. But this is where Forge World is completely different for me because I look at that and I say. It's 36 pounds for 10 of these guys. Whether I get them with fire glaives, with great weapons, or blunderbusses, they don't even make blunderbusses on the models. Or great weapons. Or great weapons. So, I mean, those are conversions. And for me, this is where you actually invest the money in the army. 
The other models, they're all very cool, very individualistic models. All their war machines, all their characters, all that kind of stuff is very, very characterful. And the core, the Chaos Dwarf Infernal Guard, I think the Fireglaives look awesome. But that's where you're spending the money. In my mind, whenever I've priced out this army, I've always put Fireglaives or Blunderbusses on the models <laughs> because that 17 points a pop means that I'm only putting in, say, $125 for paying for my core allowance instead of 200 or $300. You know, honestly, like if, I, if I'm going to bulk out most of my armies, you go and buy any battalion for almost anything, like the Warriors of Chaos. I'm giving away Warriors of Chaos at Mayhem. Yep. So the core, other than 10 Chaos Knights, mm -hmm. are two battalions, and that's 110 bucks a pop. Yep. So that's $220 US mm -hmm. to basically get all of the core for my 2,000 points of Warriors of Chaos. Yes. So, I mean, in but respect, you, I mean, I'm buying one, maybe two units for $110, $150. I mean, yeah, well, it sounds like it's a lot of money. That's about what you're going to spend for a normal army in core. Yeah, but when you get that Chaos Warriors Battalion, you get a unit of five knights, you get a unit of 12 Chaos Warriors, well, and you get a unit you're of getting 20 better marauders. Model. You're getting more models for Yeah, you're dollar. getting so many models for that $110. For $110 for Chaos Dwarves, that's 20 dwarves. No extra bits. 20 dwarves. But yeah. it's, it's, it's more of the perspective of, of how much, how much, how many models, or how, how much you're really investing dollars-wise towards core mm -hmm. to get about the, same, and, the and same point. That is a very fair comparison, but in my mind, if there's no bits, that disproportionately makes it seem that much more expensive. <laughs> so uh, that's just my own specific thought point on the chaos for, for once i was actually trying to put a positive spin on it <laughs> no I, I honestly i honestly if i'm gonna buy them i'm gonna buy them and i'm gonna buy them with fire glaives because i like the look of the fire glaives on they, the they do look really cool i, I mean both of both of the current cast wars they have all look really cool and, and i have seen fire glaives maligned a lot on the cast war forum I run a unit of 12 chaos dwarves with fire glaives a musician and a standard in mm -hmm. my lists and I love them. Why? Well, they provide a small unit that is strength 5 mm -hmm. and still pretty resilient with toughness 4 and a 4-up armor save in combat, 3-up versus shooting, yep. which makes them a really great flanking unit when my main anvil gets stuck in combat. And they've got those few little shots. Fire Glaives are 18-inch range, strength 4, armor piercing, which... When you've got 12 shots coming out at Ballistic Skill 3, isn't huge. Yeah, impressive. Mm -hmm. No, you get into the, the old argument that Ballistic Skill shooting in 8th Ed is kind of mm, pointless. Thanks, Andy. However, I... <laughs> He's got a point. The games that I've played with them, um, I played a game against Lizardmen where these guys managed to take out one single salamander with its handlers bring another one down to one wound, and then charge it to finish it off, and then get stuck in into a main uh, combat as support. I actually played a game against Conzi's Dark Elves, where uh, Ash Storm <laughs> made his Supreme Sorceress flee her unit so that she could actually <laughs> cast some spells, because she wouldn't be able to if she was still in the unit, which put her directly on their doorstep, opened fire, dealt four wounds to her, she and failed... failed Three of the saves. saves. <laughs> and, first uh, board saves. And, uh, oh. oops, bye-bye, sorceress. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they really can work miracles for you. Mm -hmm. You don't count on it, but 
I'd say they're they're a lot more reliable than people expect on paper. Well, and the nice thing about them is they have a plus one strength in close combat as well. From the from the fire glaive, that's Correct. part of the the bonus of the fire glaive. Is it basically is a halberd and a gun at the same time? Yeah, which is. I think it's pretty fun, and and the design of these models will sway my opinion every single time because I love the design of the Fireglaive, how they look like bulls. <laughs> uh, uh. Sorry, I'm I'm waxing lyrical. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I think that's all of the options we have. I mean, is there anything else we want to note on the core here? Uh, well, or? there's uh, one more option for the core, and that is the blunderbusses. Mm-hmm. And these are kind of a, a classic to a lot of Castorf players, especially those from the olden days who love the big hats. Yes. <laughs> so some people take them just for nostalgia's sake. But these are kind of an odd weapon because they grant more bonuses the more models you have firing. Yes. Which means there's a huge incentive to take big units. You really want a minimum unit of 30 Chaos Dwarves with blunderbusses, preferably 40. And these guys are 18 points apiece. That's well, that a would, lot. That would go great being a Forge World model if they actually had one, because then <laughs> I could, you could buy like 30 or 40 of this. Sure, I dropped $200 on a, on a unit, but then I have... Which is ridiculous, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but then I have like my entire core done. Throw a BSB in there, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you read the rules for it, it's, uh, they've got multiple shots, D3. They're only strength 3, but they are armor-piercing. And then they've got this little nice rule called Hail Shot. So, uh, I apologize, they also have a 12-inch range. So, to just elaborate what Dustin was saying here... Um, hail shot blunderbusses, number one, are not subject to the usual penalties for firing multiple shots. So that's pretty sweet. But then it keeps going. As long as 10 or more models in the unit are firing at once and at the same target, they suffer no penalties for firing at long range or as a stand-and-shoot charge reaction. Well, that's pretty cool, too. But it keeps going. As long as 20 or more models from a unit are firing at the same target at the same time, they may re-roll failed-to-wound rolls. That's just, that's nice. <laughs> that's a fun little unit. Yeah, it's, that's kind of that's kind of big. I mean, the range is kind of meh, mm-hmm. but I think you're in a defensive list mm-hmm. where you're maybe featuring, this is your big tar pit center, and then you're featuring a cast of artillery train. I think that could be a, a nice, like, denial, points denial type list unit for the armies. Oh yeah, and these guys unlike the Fireglaives, retain their sword and board in close combat yes. so they've still got toughness 4 and a 3 plus save. Mm-hmm. So that's, from, that's really outstanding as well. And that means that on average, you know, you hopefully will be able to get off two shots before the enemy gets into you. One stand and shoot and one and one move up and shot. shoot, yeah, it, and that's that's a big deal. <laughs> Although with the charge ranges being the way they are, I mean, you twelve inch range. Can they they move and fire with the blunderbuss? They can. So at least you have a three inch move <laughs> fire. So you have an effective fifteen inch range. So yeah, you probably can get your probably in again ninety percent of the time you're going to get your your uh, shots in. Well, but I really the thing I really like about the blunderbusses in this list is that they really help the chaos dwarf meta because. Anybody fighting this unit is going to want to have to make an extra long charge. 
because they don't want to get within 12 inches without getting into well, your unit. You're, you're really going to get that anyways because it's a it's a you have an effective range of 15 inches. There's mm-hmm. very few units in of any kind of substance to take on like a 30 man model unit of this mm-hmm. at that are going to be able to charge it effectively and consistently from over 15 inches away. But, so moving into that charge range, really, I mean, a 30-man model unit, well, they're never going to suffer the penalty anyways, so mm-hmm. I might as well just move my stuff up, make sure I get that charge the next turn, mm-hmm. and or let you fire to let me see if I even do want to charge. Yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. Versus uh, taking a chance on a long-range one, failing that charge, and, granting and then a stand and shoot. giving them a standard shoot, yep. then giving them a shoot, and Setting then giving a them a standard shoot again. Exactly. I think I rather, as, a, as an opponent, I just move up, make sure I get my shot, my charge, and then mm-hmm. charge on the next turn. Well, and comboed with having a Castellan or something in that in this unit, or uh, I apologize, something not a Castellan. See, the stubborn, cr- See, the stubborn yeah, crown stubborn. or the stubborn I mean, PSP. you put them 20 wide. All right, I've got 40 strength 3 D3 shots shots coming at you. So anywhere from 20 to 60. And because I'm firing with more than 20, I get to re-roll to wounds. Correct. Okay. So um, maybe I'll take off 20, 30 models off of your unit. Who knows? And then they can just reform I, a, in combat. Exactly. A unit that wide, though, is going to probably, when they do get charged, get charged by two to three units. And that could really... Uh, kill that reform or whatever. Yes, which I, I definitely agree. But then that means that you're going to have your opponent wait to line up those two or three units. And anything that slows down your opponent's advance to your line, to me, is really beneficial towards the Chaos Dwarves. Well, they have, and they have that in spades. So. Exactly. And, and they, this model to me is, or this equipment option to me is the epitome of the meta for this list for the Chaos Dwarves. It's really expensive, but it really fits into what the Chaos Dwarf wants you to do when facing this list. All right. With that being said, let's go ahead and take a break here before we move into special and rare and final thoughts. And uh, when we come back, we'll go ahead and cover those and wrap things up. Cool. All right. Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com. Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Okay, we're back for our follow-up on the Chaos Dwarves. Continuing our delve into the so Chaos Dwarf book. we have... We, we beat up the heroes. We beat up the special. We've definitely talked about high points cost. And we definitely like, exposed the high points cost of the core. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're going to talk about... Stuff that costs even more points <laughs> and is really cool. And and, and, the, and those things in the special and rare selections tend to be the... Everybody's seen pictures of these huge war machines mm-hmm. on you know, on these huge monsters and stuff like that. So uh, where do you guys want to start? What's the first thing in the special category that really jumps out at you and you want to talk about? Well, why don't we look at the war machines first because mm-hmm. that's kind of the iconic. Signature. Yeah. Yes, I mean they're dwarves, and dwarves and war machines kind of go side by side. And these are bigger, meaner, nastier. These are honestly these are really cool centerpiece models. Yep. And then we've got three war machines in the special section. Uh, number one is going to be the magma cannon, which is a pretty fun model. Out of the war machine models that Forge World produces, I like the magma cannon the best. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically is a giant, oversized flame cannon from the fantasy dwarves. 
At least that's what it yeah. looks like. Yeah, and that definitely would be a pretty good synopsis of what it does. So. <laughs> what does this thing really do? Well, it's got Relentless, number one, which is kind of odd, but you can march with this war machine. <laughs> well, I thought the BRB said you can't march ever with war machines. No, I, I think that because the crew are chaos dwarves, they technically have Relentless, but war machine rules will override that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> But so this is a range 24, strength 5, flaming attack, multiple wounds, D3 flame cannon. So you you have a 24 <laughs> inches, anywhere within 24 inches you put a, like a flame template or is it just... So what it does is you fire it like a cannon, so any point within 24 inches, and then instead of rolling to bounce, you place the flame template with the narrow end where the shot landed and the wide end straight ahead. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you resolve your hit at strength 5, D3 wounds, flaming attacks. Yeah, ogres don't like that. No. They also don't like it when you've already cast Ash Storm on them. So that's, yeah. that's kind of like how the the flame cannon for the dwarves are in the book, but not how it got Not with the range, yeah. Well, it, it had a 12-inch range in the book, but mm-hmm. they FAQ'd it so that it fires like it's a flame. A like a fire, yeah. So it fires like a breath weapon. So now you just put the breath template in front of it, and it's stinks. it's useless. <laughs> you need the range in order to make it good for and, the point. So yeah. this this basically has a, basically a, a quite a bit better than the dwarf flame cannon, which is sad for those dwarf players. But it's almost too a more reliable version of the warp lightning cannon from the Skaven. <laughs> Instead of a round template, you use a flame template. Well, it's a bigger template, and the strength is set. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it. You know what you're going to get for the strength. Exactly. Strength 2, strength 4, eh, 6, 8, 10. Okay! <laughs> Not to mention the most Skaven players end up using the warp lightning cannon more like a regular cannon mm-hmm. and just worrying about getting the bounce damage. This doesn't have a bounce. It's just you pick your point, you roll an artillery <laughs> po- dice, you add the artillery dice to what you to the points you picked, and then you place the flame, the flame template, and anything hit by the flame template dies. Mm-hmm. Or it takes damage. So this is going to be really, really nasty, especially against ogres, but anything where you're facing deep ranks of Toughness 3 models. T- even Tough 4, I mean, you're going to smoke models like crazy. Oh, yeah. And you should, because this costs 145 points. That's That sounds fair. I mean, the Dwarf Flame Cannon's 140, actually, in the oh, book, wow. so if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And and this is a, Maybe it was one, this is a special was instead of a rare. <laughs> <laughs> then also, for 25 points, you can make any War Machine in this book, except for the Hell Cannon, because it's technically listed somewhere else. Hellbound. Uh, Hellbound is kind of an interesting option. It's got good sides and bad sides. But they the machine causes fear. Meh. They have their toughness and wounds characteristic increased by one. Which is kind of unclear how the wounds characteristic thing works. Yeah. Because it doesn't grant them an extra crew. No. But according to the current 8th edition Warhammer rules, the number of crew is the number of wounds, Mm -hmm. and once the crew are gone, the machine is removed. So it's kind of unclear how this should be played. So there's the point number one. And then number two, all attacks and damage caused by the machine are now classed as magical attacks, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> that is, that is, there are a number of, th- I mean, that really is a nice counter to 
Oh, crud, because it'd be really in the bliss so far. We haven't had a lot of great ways other than spells to deal with those ethereals that we're seeing a lot more of them mm-hmm. on the board. Well, now here's your, oh, yeah, here's my auto answer for your ethereals. Have a nice day. And also, when they roll a misfire, they automatically take D3 wounds on the crew in addition to whatever else happens. But the nice thing is, since you've just had your wounds increased by one, you're not going to kill the war machine with the D3 wounds because it has at least wounds four. So, okay, so I get better strength, better toughness, more wounds, and its class is magical attacks, but then I don't die? Okay, so I have to misfire twice in order to potentially kill myself with this. Uh, that sounds like a good trade-off to me. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, in a list where points are tight, often it's not going to be worth it, but yeah. if there's a lot of ethereals or even a lot of cannons mm-hmm. in your meta, then, uh, then this might be worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody's got lots of cannons in their meta because almost everybody's <laughs> got at least one ogre hit player, and that ogre player puts one, if not two, of those Sky Titan cannons on the board. Well, why would you not? And if you have an Empire or a Dwarf player, you got more cannons. <laughs> Speaking of cannons, though, that is the one thing that uh, the Chaos Dwarf list is lacking are any true cannons. Mm-hmm. So No strength 10. That's Oof. a bonus. <laughs> I, no. I, I think with all of the... If, if they had a standard cannon that was, like, in the 100-point price range on top of the other things, though, that would Baroque. put the list really over the top. <laughs> uh, and then the last option, and this is available to all of them except for the Hell Cannon and the Iron Demon, is the Magma Cannon may be mounted on a steam carriage if at least one Iron Demon is in the army, and that's another plus 25 points. And this is... I'm not sure why you would ever actually do this. Because the Forge World models come on those chassis. Exactly. That's the only reason that you would ever pay the you, 25 you points. You want to put a big giant choo-choo train on the board? And <laughs> this is one of those things that almost could have been cool, but they mm-hmm. just managed to flub it. <laughs> so <laughs> what a steam carriage does is if you've got an Iron Demon and some war machines on steam carriages, you can have the Iron Demon basically be a train and carry your war machines around mm-hmm. across the board. Three inches at a time. And this, no, no, you move at the at the distance of the Iron Demon. Oh, nice. But the war machines cannot fire if they move. So it kind of negates the point of having a war machine. The Iron Demon chassis doesn't override that? Nope. It specifically says in the steam carriage that uh, you still cannot move if... You are on a steam carriage, and you you're moved with it. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, I, I mean that kind of doesn't make sense. I think that exactly. would mean that would be the bonus of. It should be the bonus of putting it on a steam carriage. Is now you can fire the thing. Yeah, exactly. You're like you move three, it's three or six inches, and then you fire the cannon, and then you move three six inches, and you fire it. Oh wait, you can't do that. Yeah. It it could have been cool. It probably wouldn't have been the most competitive build. No, but it would have been fun. Exactly. And now there's literally no reason to do this yeah and the models all come with the steam carriage included in the model so you come with an option that is pointless in fact that is horrible and actually makes your list worse but there you go i mean that's that's my opinion on the steam carriage and also you know how that works in the chaos dwarf army that is pretty negative so we're gonna move off on to the death shrieker rocket launcher that's positive. Yes. All right, why is it positive? So this is the war machine of choice that I've been running in my lists, and it is super versatile. 
I love this thing. It, it's another case of, and it gets better. Oh, yes. So <laughs> this is a war machine that fires kind of similarly to a stone thrower, but does not actually fire as a stone thrower, which a lot of people miss, which means it cannot fire indirectly. Correct. Um, so in the simplest sense, it's got two modes of fire, one of which is a strength three large template with flaming attacks, and one of which is a strength eight hit against the model struck doing multiple wounds d6. And the rules for exactly how you work this out are a little more complicated than they need to be. Yes. It's, uh, if you're using the template version, it's kind of like a doom diver, where Mm -hmm. if you scatter off of a unit, Mm -hmm. you then roll the artillery die and move that distance directly towards the nearest enemy unit. Mm -hmm. If you are now on top of a unit you place the small blast template down. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, then nothing happens. So this can lead to situations where you scatter about half an inch off the side of a big big ranked up unit and then scatter 10 inches back towards them and go off into la-la land. (laughs) This can also make it quite, quite accurate. Mm-hmm. Kind of depending on how things are going for you. Uh, and also, the other interesting thing about the way that this fires is, reading the second paragraph here, this target point cannot be placed over friendly units or enemy models from a unit that is engaged in combat with friendly units. It may strike friendly targets by mistake instead, so it basically re- reiterates the War Machine rules as they've worked in 8th edition, which to me kind of seems a little bit out of character for Chaos Dwarves. <laughs> I mean, they hate everyone, and they make slaves out of everybody, so why would they not be able to, you know, hit their it, own units? It might make sense to give them something like the Skaven's rule for the slaves, where exactly. they can fire into combats with hobgoblins. hobgoblins. Yeah. But this would, I believe that that's probably just a balance issue, because mm-hmm. if you take big blocks of hobgoblins, giving them steadfast for deep, um, stubborn off of your, uh, Character. your characters... Oh, no, you're probably not going to join a character. And they're stubborn from the steadfast, leadership 10 from the character, and then you're raining war machines on the enemy at the same time. <laughs> that would just be ugly. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so that's that's the special war machines. Let's go ahead then and just jump right into the rare war machines then. We haven't even then. made it to the Iron Demon yet. Oh, there's an Iron Demon too in the special selection? <laughs> yeah. Yep, the Iron yeah, Demon we is a special. And then, well, also the demolition rocket is the other way of firing it. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun here. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) Uh, So do you want to go over how the demolition rocket works? So the demolition rocket is a little simpler. It's just pick a point and uh, roll your scatter. Mm -hmm. If you are on top of an enemy model at the end, that model suffers a strength 8 hit with multiple wounds D6. Which is interesting because it's not technically a shooting attack and it's not technically a magic attack. So there's been a lot of discussion online as to whether or not this works as a sniper hit. Well, I think I think it would count as a as a shooting mm-hmm. attack. So I'm I I believe you would get a lookout, sir. Exactly. For example. So uh, I've I've seen people play it both ways, actually. So, well, yeah, because I suppose it's it's technically not a template. It is not a template. So yeah, I I could see where it, there might be some confusion there. But, yeah, but in the spirit of fair play, I don't think I would ever, as a Chaos Dwarf player, claim that my opponent does not get a lookout, sir. Yes, although. 
for example, if you're playing against a Dark Elf player who has just run her sorceress out of the unit, this would be perfect. <laughs> exactly. And the other interesting thing to note is that while the template is uh, flaming attack... Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that does that with their Dark Elf wizards, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the demolition rocket, strength 8 hit, is not a flaming attack. So mm-hmm. it's a little less useful for, say, dropping on the head of a Hydra. Correct, because... The basic attacks, uh, the infernal incendiaries, are flaming, and they automatically cause a panic test. Why is everybody always picking on my Hydra? Would you rather <laughs> we picked on the A-bomb? Yeah. Okay. Right. So the A-bomb would totally get there, wasted. There, that's better. <laughs> Leave a little Hydra alone. Oh. He's just cute and cuddly. And he just wants to hug you with his yeah. teeth. <laughs> and we still have one more war machine in the special sections, the Iron Demon. So this is... By far the most complicated unit in the book. <laughs> and I actually saw a a fan-made condensation of these rules on the Chaos Door forum where basically they reworded everything, turning it into a chariot instead of its own unique unit type with mm-hmm. all of these rules. And instead of a full 8.5 by 11 size page of rules, he got it down to two paragraphs, <laughs> which was kind of interesting to see because this thing is ridiculous. Yeah, literally it has an entire full page of maybe 16 point like A10 by 14 or something like that just filled with text. But in very simplistic terms, it's kind of a Chaos Dwarf steam tank. Yeah. It's very, very unmaneuverable. Mm-hmm. It moves straight ahead and then may pivot once at the end of its move, and it moves a random distance each turn. So it cannot charge on purpose, but if it runs into an enemy unit, Mm -hmm. then it counts as charging. And I believe there's something weird where you can actually run into friendly units and (laughs) (laughs) do bad things to them. Really, this is kind of an odd unit. It comes with a a gun on it that's got an 18-inch range, Strength 6, armor piercing, and multiple wounds, D3. That's not horrible, not really great. So it fires two artillery die and then pick the highest worth of shots and only misfires on a double misfire. It's got some shooting. It's not not the most impressive thing. And then it's got an option to be upgraded to a Skullcracker, which replaces its gun with an extra D6 uh, hits in close combat. And there are actually two separate models for the Skullcracker versus the Iron Demon on the Forge World site. Um, The Skullcracker is wonderfully absurd looking. (laughs) Yes, it is. Man, I'm I'm just reading the rules here for Lumbering and Unstoppable, the way it moves, and it's... uh, (laughs) It's it's a little crazy. You have to declare a charge, but it's random movement. But you can't. You can only. You can go six inches. Period. No problem. But if you want to go more than six inches, you roll two d six and add it. Unless you roll a double one, and then something happened. But then you can't fire. But if it is a charge, you have to declare a charge as normal. But if it fails the charge, it doesn't actually fail the charge. You just move the full distance anyway. <laughs> but the other thing with it, I think, is that because you're playing cast dwarves, you're probably, especially against chaff armies, you're going to want to line this up so that you can get it across from, like, say, your opponent's big horde, but if their, your opponent's big horde unit doesn't go down until 
after you've kind of deployed, you know, when you're on like deployment five or six with the cast dwarves, you're probably, I mean, you're at the point of, oh, crud, I'm out of units, I think, mm-hmm. because of the points cost and everything. So it's, I think you're hard to, in the deployment phase to get this lined up to where you want to get it matched up and get it into combat against your opponent. Correct. And this is, especially if you only take one, this is going to be really hard to get into the units you want unless they're yes. big hordes. Yeah, it, it, it does have the benefit that it gets Thunderstav each round in combat, which makes it a lot better than the Steam Tank. And it doesn't have the whole Steam Points mechanic either, which makes it much better than the Steam Tank, in my opinion. Um, but it also cannot overrun or pursue in combat. So it just kind of runs in and stops there. <laughs> and it only attack after the first round of combat are that thunder stomp which mm-hmm. means if somebody can charge it with a 50 point unit of fast cavalry neither one of those is going anywhere all game and you're you're, you're big, well, dunk, big scary iron you can't thunder stomp cav you can't yeah, thunder stomp cav and it has zero attacks it has zero attacks yeah <laughs> so oh 75 point unit Bye-bye. Yep, so it's just going to be losing on that musician every turn. But I I think one of the things that it can do is that in your list, you can put it down. Say you got a Kadai and you got the uh, Lamassu or whatever it was, the the Taurus, and then you've got... Ben's just basically recreating his TK list here with the Chaos Dwarf. Well, no, I mean, you got like... yeah. Okay, all of a sudden now I've got three huge monsters. Now I put this down early in my deployment. Mm-hmm. My opponent's kind of like, okay, I don't want that to get matched up against my big units. So it forces your opponent maybe to move their big units in their deployment as they put them down to where you can line up and get maybe then your Kadai against them or get your, you know, you can kind of count on, okay, the flank that or the side of the board that this is going to be on probably isn't going to have big units of infantry to fight against because that's what you wanted to get in. So it's almost like a decoy deployment to force your opponent to de- deploy where you want them to so you can get your your Kadai and your maybe your big block of Chaos Dwarves or whatever into them. Or maybe you can get them to deploy, okay, you put this over here maybe on my right flank and my rest of my artillery train then goes kind of to my left or center and now my opponent doesn't put any of my, their big units to their right flank forces them more to where I can get a better bombardment and get them to come at me. Because I think that's one of the things that cast wars are going to struggle with because you have a, it's a small model count, small mm-hmm. army, and anything you can do or put on the board to force your opponent to where they're going to go on the board I think is a big gain and a big bonus. Oh, yeah, this thing is definitely good area denial. Mm-hmm. At 285 points in it better be. <laughs> in an already point type list, I'd like to see it do more, but it's definitely not a worthless unit. I've heard of people having some success running two because then it's harder for, for an enemy horde to maneuver to the point where they can stay out of both of them. And mm-hmm. once they've got in with a horde, that, uh, that horde's not going to go anywhere for a while. Okay, so what else we got then? Then the other options in special, aside from our uh, our artillery, first option is the Chaos Dwarf Infernal Iron Swarm. Which are the boringest unit in the army. <laughs> yep, they really don't have a lot of options. They're just like normal Chaos Dwarves, but they've got an extra weapon skill, and they have ensorcelled hand weapons. Yeah, so... but they're five points more expensive and a special choice. <laughs> Well, they get strength five, the three up armor save, and they're hitting almost everything in the game on threes. Yep. So Correct. they're they're not definitely not a bad unit. I mean, that's actually it sounds like a. I mean, when you combine like a stubborn, that's a great. 
Like a big block of those and a big block of great weapon warriors, all of a sudden you've got this completely unconventional chaos dwarf list on the board with two massive units of combat denial and or destruction because strength five is kind of that sweet point to get to because then you're basically smashing most infantry in the game. Oh yeah, they're still swinging on initiative, so all those iron gut hordes and stuff like out there are going—they're just going to get smashed by this unit before they even get to swing. And the other thing that's really interesting about that kind of army build that Conzie's talking about is this gives you a really great incentive to play metal as your lore, which is kind of very unconventional, especially mm-hmm. given all the other things that we've got access to. But if you've got strength five iron sworn with a three plus save, and you drop. Uh, glittering robes on them you're talking a one plus save infantry block that is stubborn which is pretty amazing yeah i mean it's i think that's a i i, I mean i certainly i think your opponent's gonna go wow you you just gave me a gift and then all of a sudden you know because you didn't field all these other nasty things but you know a couple of those that could die you got a really pretty nasty combat list. Yeah, my main issue with this unit is, is it is 17 points, so that's a lot, and you already have a unit that focuses mostly the same like it in the game in your core choice at the Infernal, but my main issue is that there are no models for this unit. You have your basic Chaos Dwarf Warriors, but they didn't make a separate unit for the Chaos Dwarf Infernal Iron Sword. So you're going to have to like paint them differently or something because <laughs> they don't well, do separate models. My thought would be that I'm fielding my core warriors with great weapons, mm-hmm. so therefore my specials are hand weapon and shield, and I can get away with the normal unit. Of course, that oh, still definitely. means i got to convert one of the two units because there's a miss in <laughs> either the great weapons or in trying to do something special for this unit, but mm-hmm. I think there's options out there. Well, there are definitely options. I'm just disappointed that one of the options isn't buy the unit from Forge World. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I, anytime I can... this is. I mean, I go back to that. I don't want to see converted cast or armies. I want to see them mostly models because i don't get to see that i get to see as much as i love the conversions and when you convert things amazingly well and i like dustin's cast orbs in particular Mm -hmm. are they really capture the feel of what cast orbs when i look at his cast orbs i'm like oh that captures the feel that the that the cast orbs in my in my mind in my mind's eye should do so that's like a really cool army and and to to catch and look at but some some of the ones that are out there (laughs) are like yeah that was a little weak you're stretching my credibility my uh belief i'm pretty sure you did that because you think cast dwarves are awesome in the game and and the models just you just use models that were cheap so although i did get a kick out of the uh, (laughs) fire breathing spider that i played against once yeah oh yeah it was that that army there's definitely some 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 silly cool stuff that you see out there too Mm -hmm. oh yeah there's there because there is so much conversion (laughs) there is yeah some greatness there all right next unit we have are the bull centaur renders so this is a, a kind of a nod back to the fifth edition models because they did have bull centaurs in them but the new models that they've designed are amazing. Oh, if by amazing you mean terrible. Oh, I love, I, them. I love them too. I'm, I'm going to be in the... <laughs> I love the models as dragon ogres. Okay. I can see that I argument. I despise the models as bull centaurs, mm-hmm. especially given the fact that that model looks like a combat beast. And bull centaurs yeah. are strength four with two attacks. <laughs> I, I definitely can agree with you there. I think mm-hmm. the model gives you an impression that this unit's going to be much more mean in combat Smash than it facey. actually is. <laughs> yep. That being said, 
I definitely would like to include these in most of my cast. It, it is very, very odd, I have to say. I don't think that there's any other unit that I know of that has more wounds than it has attacks. <laughs> That's the really surprising thing about the full Sentai and renders. these are tough five, aren't they? Yes, they, they are. They are tough five. So it's a real nice sweet spot to be in because then all of a sudden you negate a lot of that higher strength units, those strength four, strength five units, all of a sudden you negate one of their big strengths, you're resilient, you've got a lot of wounds, mm -hmm. so you can stick it in for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, my other question, I guess, is can you, if you put an additional hand weapon on these guys, can you fight with three attacks? Do they count as monstrous infantry? I actually believe they do. Well, that, they, okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're either monstrous infantry or they're, monstrous They're cast. monstrous infantry, which makes the spear option a little silly. Yes, because it does nothing. Yes. <laughs> Again, I, this looks like another case where Forge World wasn't necessarily entirely up to snuff with the 8th Ed rules while writing the book. Especially when Games Workshop has really made a huge effort to make sure that every option available in the book is present in the plastic kits that they're putting out for these new units. Forge World is going the opposite. The Bull Centaur renders... Just come with a weapon. <laughs> and and that's probably the least common... Because they, they've got hand weapons and, like, what, bucklers, bucklers on the models? Yeah. Kind of shield, so, yeah. Shield. So, hand so, weapon shield is, is an okay way to run mm -hmm. them. That's how I've been running mine, and mostly because it was easier to get a really cool conversion that way. And yes. That's kind of how I roll. That's always a good excuse. <laughs> the additional hand weapon is much better for five points getting another attack. Additional hand weapon is okay, but match. if you want these to do something, you want great weapons. Mm -hmm. Because then they're strength six and still tough five with a three plus save. Which I don't is know. I, awesome. I almost I really <laughs> buy in. We we played a, the one game and I really buy into the resiliency, taking the hand weapons. They're monstrous infantry, so you get the hand weapon shield, you get the parry, you get the tough five, you get the heap of wounds per model. See that that was the way that I thought when um when I built them because it looks on paper they're just crazy tough. I've actually found that the targets that they always end up lined up against. The extra save doesn't matter as much because I'm going up against generally things that are strength 5 and higher, and I'm still failing enough armor saves and not dealing any damage in return because I've only got... Uh, strength 4. Strength 4. I take units of 4, which seems to be most people take 3 or 4. I've got 8 attacks coming back at strength 4, and... What I'm going up against, it's just not cutting it. So I, I guess I would agree because you tend to run. Uh, these are going to be things you tend to run more to your flank, where you're going to see more like heavy cav uh, and the, and monsters and those he kind of things. Heavy cav monsters. I've run up against uh, a lone lizardman hero at one point with a great weapon. So on on paper, they look great in the defensive build. In practice, unless the way that I play them, at least, it ends up not being as good. But either way is still pretty viable. I think I think a, a, a thought, at least, on them is for the tar pit kind of unit is to maybe take them in a couple of ranks, maybe four wide. So there's eight of them or so, which is about $8 billion and about 8 billion points. Mm -hmm. And then just drive them right up the center with maybe your Kadai or something on one flank, which is really fast. These are really fast. And again, then you're, you're playing on that. I'm going to catch my opponent off guard. By most people don't think of cast orbs as being able to put two really strong units right up in somebody's grill. So maybe I take a big unit of these, uh, could die a couple of uh, one or more of the 
whatever that steam engine tank thing Iron is. Iron Demon. The Iron Demon. Mm-hmm. And just bull forward just as fast as I can across the board, and all of a sudden now you've got so many targets that are coming at you so quickly that you it's hard to re- you don't have options to react. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're they're a fun unit, and but I have to agree with you. They they look like they should smash face, and I I don't see them doing that in game. Yeah, yeah the models definitely I think uh, look very mean and nasty. I would think these are three attack per model models and easily. They aren't. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the other. Other special option we've got is the Kadai Fireborn. Oh, Fireborn. And so these are the other monstrous infantry options. So often people compare them to the bull centaurs mm-hmm. when when sure. they're deciding which to take. And yeah. I, these are ones, I got pictures of these in the Gen Con folder where they were at Gen Con in the Forge World display. So there's some cool pics of these up on the Wisco Dice site already. Yep. They're 55 points apiece is the big thing to start with. And when you have... Bull centaurs, which are a wound more and forty points apiece. <laughs> well, bull centaurs will usually they'll be running forty-five with shields or fifty with great weapons, but mm-hmm. the fireborn are a little more expensive. Yeah. So why do I take fireborn over bull centaurs? First off, fireborn are strength five, mm-hmm. and again, only two attacks. They only have two wounds, but they do cause fear, like the bull centaurs. They have flaming attacks. Blazing Body Rule, Bound Fire Demon, and Burning Bright. So they have a couple of special rules that make them a little bit more interesting. So the Blazing Body is the the most relevant one, probably, Mm -hmm. for why people take Fireborn. And this states that at the beginning of every round of combat, any model in base contact with one or more models with the Blazing Body is going to take it a strength... Four hit or strength three? You're strength looking at four. the rules. So strength four flaming, flaming hit, attack. which if you're up against uh, against some tough three infantry, it's gonna gonna be some hurt. And and in addition, any non magical attacks suffer a negative penalty to wound them. Uh, this that was actually um, errated. Okay. It was changed to a su- must re-roll successful okay. Same wounds. as the Kadai. Same as the Kadai Destroyer. Yes. Yeah. Which makes sense, because otherwise you could potentially make somebody impossible to wound them. Well, they did for a while. <laughs> yep. So it, these guys used to be an effective um, mm-hmm. tough five um, against non-magical attacks, and now you have to re-roll your successful wounds. So they're actually pretty resilient, and mm-hmm. they uh, they also come with a 4-plus ward save. Correct, which goes to a 2-plus against so flaming. I, I think I think all of those reasons. I mean, this thing, I mean, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to do strength fours to everything before swings are happening in combat. Then I'm going to turn around and swing a couple of strength fives, which is nice. Then I'm going to stomp your infantry with strength fives. And on top of that, I'm tough five. If you're not magical weapons, which is almost everything, you're going to have to re-roll successful wounds. And when you finally get a wound through, I four-up ward save it. That sounds really good in comparison to a bull centaur. Yep, there's uh, there's a drawback, though. Yep, the burning bright rule is an interesting rule. It's it's on both the Kadai Destroyer and on the Kadai Fireboard. You take a toughness test every turn after the second... Yep, so correct? starting turn three um, at the beginning of nope. the Chaos Dwarf turn. It says as from the result from the second game turn onwards at the start they, of each... That, that was in one of the FAQs. Okay. It's just really bad wording. Um, <laughs> it, it means turn three. So they take a toughness test. If they fail, they suffer D3 wounds with no saves of any kind possible. So here um, you've got about a one-third chance of failing that test each turn. And losing and a die per turn. only two <laughs> wounds each. 
55-point models, this can really sting. Well, and then there's the interesting thing here that they're unbreakable, but they're also unstable. Yes. So how does that work? Because in my mind, unbreakable means I lose combat. Same rule, um, vampire counts and and tomb kings have. So un, it's not quite like the demons, Mm -hmm. where if they were unbreakable, they would just be unbreakable. Unbreakable is they automatic. They don't have to take any of their tests, and then they take unstable wounds for every point they lose the combat by. All right. Well, with two attacks apiece and only weapon skill four, that seems like that might be probable. Yeah, you're not going to be able to toss these up against enemy elite. Yeah, um, so, all right. That's that's going to be a roll for uh, the artillery, your core tar pits, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the stuff we'll see coming up in the rare section. All yeah, right. You really want to, these are what you drop into somebody else's core infantry and or hordes, and, and they will fare real well. All right. So, moving on to the raiders, uh, we'll start with the kind of boring one, the Hobgoblin Wolf Raiders. So, these are... I don't know if they're boring. I think that's a, a neat and good unit, a pretty good unit. These are 12-point Fast Cav, which is, you know, pretty nice pretty in an standard. army that wants to... Uh, Move around a lot. Wants to sit back and blow things up. Having some redirectors is nice, but their points come out of the rare section, yes. and they suffer animosity, which means... Yes. Two turns out, or one turn out of three, so they fail on a one or a six, they're not doing what you want them to, which is a problem for redirectors. You need these guys to be where they need to be. Not having control of them is can really come back to bite you in the ass. They gain plus one of their combat resolution on the first turn of combat if they successfully charge an enemy in the rear of the flank. But if they are charged, they suffer a negative one to hit on the first turn of combat. Yeah, these are, I know some people like them. I much prefer to take Lone Hobgoblin Cons mm-hmm. because that animosity to me is huge. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, I think that's I mean, I think that's valid. But at the same so, time, I, I think there's a potential for a, a spot that if one wanted to slip them in, in an un- here, here I am, I'm actually kind of giving a positive on a, on a unit that I also think is probably bad. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there is a room for it to... To go in a list to catch somebody on the off guard because everybody's going to expect one of the other rares almost assuredly in your list, and that's the Kadai. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my oh, goodness, Kadai. Kadai. Oh, Kadai. So, so you know those those uh, Fireborn we were just talking about? Well, this, this is their is, big daddy. Yeah. He's big, <laughs> mean, nasty, and ugly. Let's start off with the profile. Move nine. Weapon skill 5, <laughs> ballistic skill 3 for some reason, yeah. uh, strength 7, toughness 6, 6 wounds, initiative 5, 6 attacks, and an 8 leadership on a 325-point monster. There is one restriction. A Kadai Destroyer may only be included in the army if a Demon Smith is also present. You know that character you're always going to want to take? You have to take one of those. basically <laughs> have almost no options to not take them, <laughs> exactly. especially in the Lord category. Yep. Its equipment is spite and hellfire. <laughs> Counts as hand weapon. Yes. So this has uh, a lot of the same rules as the Kadai Fireborn. Mm-hmm. It's unstable, unbreakable. It's bigger, so it causes terror and is a large target. It's got those flaming attacks, the blazing body for the auto hits, and you have to re-roll successful wounds against it. It's got the burning bright, but 
that's less problematic on something that's tough six. Exactly. And it's got frenzy that causes it to gain D three attacks every oh, turn awesome. instead that, of one. That sounds amazing. But it has no options. So, you know. <laughs> no, although I believe the uh the Storm of Magic Kadaya Destroyer has options for a breath weapon and to fly. <laughs> this thing would just be obscene if it could fly. Well, yes. the, the only difference, I mean, it's a, it's one extra movement. You can get over you can some charge units. over units. It's, That's it, it gets rid of the redirectors. Six, yeah. And the redirectors is huge. And in, in the because this doesn't have swift stride, right? No, it does not. So you get swift stride, which helps guarantee those charges a little better. Too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The destroyer is it. It can take on an entire two thousand point army and win if <laughs> if it gets lucky. Exactly. I mean, it took me in our game. It took black, my nineteen blackguard plus BSB three rounds to combat to kill it. Of which two rounds it had. I had mind razor up on him. Oh yeah, this thing is uh, is nasty. When you're dropping between seven and nine strength seven attacks at initiative five, those those blazing body hits on um, an arachnorock sized base. <laughs> which you're going to get a few plus a thunder stomp at strength seven, and it's a uh, tough six. Have to re-roll wounds against it and four plus ward save. Uh, Ick. Oh. <laughs> I would like to point out too in that combat that was I. I feel like I got lucky. You had some so a little bit poor rolling that I think is what at, what would be average in a couple spots like the thunder stomps and stuff. So that really could have swung to the point where. My 19 Blackguard and BSB would have just been obliterated by the Kadai in two rounds of combat. Oh, yeah, and I think that, what was it? I think you had three or four. I think you had, the there BSB was, was dead, and I think there were four Blackguard left at the end. There wasn't much of anything left which, in the last round. And which, it was like, oh, my God, I got lucky and got enough wounds to kill it. Otherwise, I was done. And then my fire glaives were able to use that uh, that worthless ballistic skill shooting to take out the rest of the black yeah, they, were, they, were, they were like, oh, the Kadai's gone. Okay, well, we'll just mop up what's left because I didn't have a whole lot. Now, I mean, there's things I could – I mean, there – that probably wasn't the optimized matchup for me in in that game, but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to see. I mean, I could I think uh, uh, like a big corsair block for the dark elves or would have been with a mind razor up would have been a better option for me to ram it into a kadai because it would have been more attacks on that initial round. But yeah, yeah I mean, it was oh my goodness, kadai! This thing is of all the things in the book, this is the only selection that I've got to say is probably an auto clue, auto include in every list. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately at this point, while there's some pictures that went up from it being kind of showcased in the work in progress at games day UK this year, it is still not a finalized model and nope. there is no model produced from forge world for this. Yeah. Yet. I mean, to me, the big thing about the Kadai destroyer that really affects the meta a lot is that, it doesn't have any of the weaknesses that a normal monster does. But no. it does have one very important weakness, mm-hmm. flaming attacks. Yes. And so if you can get a uh, a cheap hero with the uh, Dragon Helm or Dragon Bane Gem mm-hmm. on a mount, um, that's important because of the Thunder Stomp, run it into the Kadai, you can pretty easily negate this thing. Oh, especially yes. with the predominance of pe- like Pegasus Riders now mm-hmm. on ca- for characters. You just, you know, you ram in your two-wound hero on Pegasus into this thing with a Dragon Helm, and unless you have a round of really bad rolling, yeah, you'll probably lose the character to it, mm-hmm. but if you can tie this thing up for three, four rounds of combat, 
that's probably all you need to win the game because now all of a sudden a huge <coughs> most of the dominance of what they're going to do, well, everything they're going to push forward, and and the fact that it is, it's going to have to spend once it kills you, it's going to have to spend a turn, you know, it's going to have to spend its you know combat reform to get in a position to to charge then around it. You can really press it at the rest of the Castorf army while they're busy being locked up with this thing. Mm-hmm. And it also has frenzy, which means redirectors are going to be great with that forced overrun. Yes. Yeah, only leader eight too. So once it gets I mean a lot of most Castorf players tend to push this thing forward in a hurry and it gets it outside that that general leadership range and the BSB range. Uh-huh. So it's it's going to be stranded at leader 8 which means they're going to make fail they're going to fail some leadership checks on occasion and have to charge. Oh, I see what you're saying for the frenzy. I'd say that uh overall analysis of the Kadai as a Castor player, I'm happy to run one. <laughs> there are other options. I'm definitely Unless the Hell Cannon changes too much in mm-hmm. the next uh, Warriors book, I'll definitely try running double Hell Cannon sometime yep, instead. Yeah, and the, that is one of the lists that's included, but it's included as per the Warhammer Ars Warriors of Chaos book. So this is the only book in GW right now that is affected by another book. Well, it's, it's because it's not an official Games Workshop book. It's a Forge World book, and because of licensing with Games Workshop, they can't auto-include Games Workshop reprint Games Workshop rules inside their own book. So you'll, you'll see that there is no actually anytime they reference a Games Workshop rule in a Forge World book, it's always just a reference mm-hmm. and not the actual reprinted rules. Yeah, and that's uh, that's just one of those problems. It, it's it counts as legal, <laughs> but it doesn't actually. It's not able to include all the entries in the book. So. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. You do need a copy of the Warriors book in order to play a Hell Cannon. And well, actually, the GW site. Last I checked, the GW site was including the profiles for all the units with the. Does market, it isn't does it? it have the full rules though? It, it doesn't I, actually. And Hell Cannon's got quite the, a few special rules. It has the names of the rules, but it doesn't actually specifically list them. I don't believe so. Well, we're gonna check. All right. All right. Um, while he's checking, we'll just move on to the Chaos Siege Giant. <laughs> Why I don't know this why this in was here. I, I have no idea. Because they made a really cool model and it was in the Tamarcon fluff. Yeah, I suppose I, I could see this being fun in you know a Chaos yeah. Warriors list. I guess if, if you're playing a ten thousand point themed siege game uh-huh. and you want some cool stuff, then then you could throw in the giants. But honestly, unless you're doing that, so it's a normal giant that has slightly different. Slightly different random attack chart, and I think it's like a 5-plus armor save something for 70 points more than a normal giant. Yeah. So he's, he's only 50 points less than a Kadai Destroyer that's, competing that's the, for the same points. Yeah, in my opinion, that's exactly the problem with the, the model itself is it just the Kadai just kicks everything else out of the rare section so cleanly that it's just really, really hard to kind of try and figure out what you should be doing with it. Yep. Yeah, and by the way, you guys are right. The Hell Cannon only shows the profile. It doesn't show any of the... It doesn't even give you a list of any bonus rules that go with it okay. on the GW site. But at least you have a profile for it that should get updated with the new book if it changes. Yep. So, you, yep, see Giant, Big Giant, some armor plating, a little bit different special attacks, but otherwise it's a Giant. And as everybody knows... The giants are generally frowned upon, and especially when you have for not you know for almost the same points or a little bit le- is it a little bit less for the hell cannon? 
Uh, actually, uh, Hell Cannons are, what, 205? Yeah. Uh, 70 points less, then. So it's it's a little bit cheaper than the Hell Cannon. No, no, no. The Hell Cannon oh, the is Hell 70 Cannon points seven, less. The 70, so a Hell Cannon, which is, is a better significantly option, is cheaper. significantly cheaper. Mm-hmm. Or the Kadai, which comes in pretty close to the same price. Uh, 50 points more for a Kadai. So you can get a Kadai, which is amazingly better, and you can get more reliable. Or a Hell Cannon that's less. I think, every, I think we're in a safe agreement that those are the reasons why you almost never, unless you're just being a fluffy guy, taking a Seat Giant. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then the last option here is... The Dreadquake Mortar. This is basically the replacement to the old Earthshaker, isn't it? That's correct. Yes, it is. And this is... It's not a bad war machine. No. But you have to take 20 points to really make it effective. Yep. So if every turn in which it fired the last turn, you need to roll a d6, and on a 4+, plus, you may shoot this turn. Yes. Unless you give it a Slave Ogre crew for plus 20 points, which mm-hmm. then makes it you know, pretty much immune to... Chaffy war machine hunters, because you've got three extra wounds and three extra strength for attacks. Yeah, so it's a six-wound war machine uh-huh. at that point. But at that <laughs> point, it is... 215 points. So clocks in just a little bit more than a hell cannon, and honestly is slightly less impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... It looks I mean, cool. Yeah, I think, it <laughs> the looks, I think the amazing. model is really cool. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's on the, another one on the side of those chassis. Yep. I mean, it's not that hard to, I think, put it uh, with off the chassis, but it's still, it comes with a chassis, so you're going to spend like an arm and a leg for probably parts and pieces that you don't really want. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much, I mean, that's all the choices, it's all the units, and, and of course this is the longest part of this review, so we've taken a long time here. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll just give our final thoughts on, on this, and wrap the show up. <laughs> We are back. Yes, we are, indeedy. Okay, so let's go ahead and just wrap up our final thoughts on Tamarcon mm-hmm. and the Chaos Dwarves. What, what do you, I mean, obviously the book is amazing. It's a well-constructed, mm-hmm. really good book. It's got really good pictures and story and fluff. And the whole thing is really a story that happens to have Warhammer rules. Yes, I completely agreed. Um, um, but what, I mean... We didn't touch on any magic items or anything mm-hmm. special. We kind of hinted at builds, but mm-hmm. what I mean, obviously, I think the the one thing we said is kind of the auto include is the Kadai and and in a list. But are are is there anything close to kind of a standard build for cast dwarves that that seems to be popular? I would say standard build is probably sorcerer prophet, mm-hmm. one or two medium large um, blocks of. Um, Iron Infernal Guard. Infernal Guard. That's the that's the word. Um, <laughs> with hand weapon shield. Um, occasionally their gear gets switched up. Um, uh, Kadai and a couple of magma cannons and mm-hmm. maybe some death shriekers. But that's that's kind of the the frame that most people play off of mm-hmm. because it's pretty well balanced with staying power, destructive power magic, and really scary war machines. Yeah. So I'd say the balanced Chaos Dwarf list is um, is going to be the most popular, but as we kind of talked about with going through individual units, 
there's a lot of room for some different builds in here that you don't see as much. And there's a lot of synergy in there too. That yes, that really could make for some fun games. Yeah, I don't. When I, we talked about the book, I, I really don't think that we hit on anything that we could call as a, a bad unit that you couldn't no. find a way to put it on the table and make it work really well for you. I mean, there's some books mm-hmm. where it's just like <laughs> Siege Giant. Okay, <laughs> other true. than even the Siege Giant, you could, you know, in like a 3K game, you could put four of those on the board <laughs> or three. Well, no, it's no, it's three. Grand Army's three. You know, yeah, three rares. So three of them on the board. You know, and if I think of the Siege Giant, if it would have been moved to the special selection instead of the rare, Ooh, yeah, I then... think it becomes an amazing add to the list rather than a a uh, because then all a of a sudden, not could I list? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, well, I guess it needs to come down just maybe a touch in points too for what it does. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's. I think there's. I don't even then. I don't think there's a horrible. Yeah horrible choice. Well, the vast majority of my negativity about this list is just that Forge World doesn't put everything out yet. And, like, the list itself is really fun. It's got some really fun synergies, and it really affects the meta a lot, which I actually really appreciate. I know people get frustrated when the meta is changed, but I love that the meta is changed. It means that you're going to see different things on the table. You're going to see people approaching their armies in a different way. I think most folks will agree at tournament, ogres are kind of king uh, currently, mm-hmm. or at least very, very strong. And to have an army that's so decisively, I, and I was convinced of this at Blood in the Sun, that basically knocked the ogre, what would be the standard ogre build down, mm-hmm. significant pegs is, is really nice to have as an addition to the game. And while playing against a Kadai is frustrating and grr, I uh It kind of makes up for the... Overpriced core, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, if if the core went down and the Kadai went up, I think everything would be just a little more balanced. Yeah. But when you've got a little of everything, it kind of balances out. And I, and I do think uh, everything in the book is pointed at, like, you know, with the idea that these are going to be expensive models. Other than the Hobgoblins, mm-hmm. they're going to be expensive models for you to purchase, and they're pointed appropriately so that you can still buy while yes you don't have if you buy the forge world stuff you're going to buy but hey ridiculous you're going to feel like you're paying a ridiculous price to get 20 or 30 or 40 you know cast dwarfs but they look amazing they are really good <laughs> models and there's a design choice there that's not in any of the other gw armies and that's what i love and not only are that, but you, by the by the time you're done, you still only spend maybe a hundred dollars more mm-hmm. to pick up your army. For and because it's Forge army. World, yeah. you're probably making more decisions regarding what you're going to purchase mm-hmm. if you're buying it from them, rather than uh, like a guy like me. I I buy I try to buy everything in the range, and then I as I'm building things, <laughs> I adjust my list according to after I've played a unit a few times. Go, eh, yeah, that wasn't that doesn't do what I quite wanted to do or whatever. Mm-hmm. With Forge World, I think I do a lot more decision making up front before mm-hmm. I do purchases so that I have more of what I want on the board before I put it on the board. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, going through this, this might be completely off topic, but what really is exciting for me right now is the Battle for Blackfire Pass, the new Warhammer Forge World book that's going to be coming out for the new campaign. I can't wait to see what that brings. <laughs> that will be kind of that will be Dwarves and night goblins. Oh, I am so Classic looking forward to it. Classic fantasy stuff. That's like night goblin. Like how? I mean, 
how you how do they do Forge World Night Goblins and and to what quantities and and whatnot? It's well, going to be really neat. And, and the thing is, you just have to add character models for Night Goblins. You don't have to flesh out a range at that point. It's just going to be complete. Oh, I'm happy. There are new models mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of where for, with uh, Chaos Dwarves, you had to go and replace an entire pre-existing range. So, all right. Uh, is there anything else we want to add to the Chaos Dwarves or what we've talked about? Not from me. I talked enough today. Right. <laughs> and so we basically talked about Chaos Dwarves today. Yep, a lot yep. of Chaos Dwarves. And we really appreciate having Dustin on board mm-hmm. to talk about it. Thank we you. We also <laughs> talked to Carl from The Last Square, mm-hmm. uh, and we got to hear all sorts of cool stuff about The Last Square, what's going on here, how you can be involved with The Last Square, and potential future events even. Exactly. We heard uh, that rumor then about the uh, potential Warhammer fantasy Mega game, I think we mentioned there mm-hmm. during that interview. So, lots of good stuff that's coming up, and lots of good stuff we talked about today. So, I want to big thanks to the Last Square for hosting us, mm-hmm. and uh, to of course to all of our sponsors: Prism Gaming, Misty Mountain Games, WWHFB, the, yeah, Wisconsin Warmer Fantasy Battles League. We want to go ahead and thank those guys. Thanks, Dustin, for being on again. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. All right, definitely providing providing an extra insight into the cast dwarves that mm-hmm. I certainly, you know, did not possess. <laughs> yeah, for me, personally. I definitely <laughs> didn't possess. I didn't even possess a book, so I'm like, I would have had to try to scan through a PDF to try to figure this out. So I'm feeling kind of cool that there's two Tomicon books on the table right now. I'm, I'm feeling a little <laughs> hipster cool. Yeah, like, it, it feels kind of decadent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it does. I mean, that's 150 dollars in rules books sitting right there in front of me. <laughs> Fight to the death. Of course, you can always check out Wisco Dice via iTunes. Go ahead and make sure you leave a review. We love reading those things. It's great. We appreciate it. You can also catch us on Stitcher Smart Radio and on BlackBerry Podcasts as well. You can go ahead and make sure you check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, Facebook, we still have that 100 likes to go on Facebook, and we are nearing in very, very close to having a final hunt, first 100 people to like us on that thing. We're eight likes away. So come on, folks. You listen to it. I know you're listening. Go ahead and get to Facebook and like us. You got a big shot at a bunch of prizes. On top of that, of course, Twitter, like I just mentioned, always go ahead and hit me at Dugan Brightax. You can go ahead and hit Paul at Wisco Dice. Finally, we can go ahead and hit us at Google Plus at Wisco Dice at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always email in to the hosts at hosts at WiscoDice.com. You can go ahead and hit me individually at bcone at WiscoDice.com or Paul at pwagner at WiscoDice.com. So much appreciated. There's all the ways you can go ahead and reach us. All right. All right. So <laughs> let's go ahead then and wrap things up. Uh, we kind of unfortunately don't have our normal fan ending today because Yay! the fan got confused. We told I told him to show up at the house for for his part in snuck out to the square. So he's probably knocking on the door wondering where we are. I'm going to have to look out. That guy's probably going to want to beat me up next time. Yep, in the driveway. Probably. So, all right. Thanks a lot for listening. Peace out. Catch you next time. Definitely.
Cody, don't think you can get out of this. Yes, I got my spot yet. Yes, yes. Oh, my head. Yes, that shows you, Cody. Ouch.